0: This is Ashley Bang from the Monster Squad, also known as the Youngest Scream Queen,
1: and you're listening without your head.
2: the station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil that would make me terrible troy mm-hmm. and we're joined here Raina swart the star of lullaby it's good to have you here
0: oh thank you so much for having me it's really exciting and um and i'm glad you you liked our film from south africa it's um bizarre it's a little bit different and it's <laughs> definitely a first from our country
2: yeah yeah so actually right away about south africa are there a lot of horror movies made there or seen there
0: no not at all it's mostly romantic comedies and um, dramas and this is the first one in about 20 years i think oh wow (laughs) i don't know the exact time but there was one zombie film that was that was good um Mm -hmm. but this was the first um Horror film from Daryl Brutt, which is a—he's a big South African director. So
1: mm-hmm. yes,
0: I hope there will be many more, you know, to come and everything. I hope it's the first, and that we just learn and move on from here.
2: Yeah. Uh, how how do the people there see like uh, horror films? Like, I assume some are shown from other countries. Uh, are people are people into them? Are people dislike them? Or?
0: I I would say like. Comedies do very well in South Africa, um, but it specifically did um, well last year when it Mm -hmm. was on. And um, so if there's like a good marketing campaign, you know, behind it, it it does quite well. But um, there is a very big horror community in in Cape Town, I think, um, which they support horror films a lot, too.
2: Yeah. So, uh actually, how did you get involved in the movie, if, r- if really horror movies aren't made there?
0: Yeah, no, no. So, the <laughs> thing is, um, Daryl Ridd, he's, he's really great and everything, and I've always wanted to work with him. About, like, 10 years ago, um, I think even more. But anyway, like, in 2004, he was the first South African director to be nominated for an Oscar. So, he was oh. everywhere, you know, on TV, That's on excellent. the news, and... <laughs> and um, then I was like, I want to work with Daryl one day, and I was really um, excited to have the opportunity to work with him. But anyway, how did I get involved? So I auditioned for the film. Uh, for my audition, I, I read the I read the scenes, and it was really cool and everything. So I was like, okay, I like horror movies. I'm gonna go all out. And when I came into the audition room. I saw that everyone looked so pretty and I looked really scary because I Mm -hmm. I had like my nightgown on and my hair was all greasy and (laughs) I didn't have any makeup on. So I was like, okay, (laughs) maybe I misread something. I'm not sure, but I'm here. I'm just going to do what I want to do and I'm just going to have fun with it. And I had had a lot of fun and they actually, um, afterwards they said they didn't quite um, take the that far in the script so they changed a few things and they liked what I did and, and they chose me so yeah it was, it was really cool
2: wow oh, that's cool that you actually even uh, you know ended up adding to the script uh, just from your, uh, your <laughs> yeah. audition yeah. Yeah, do you remember what do you remember what scene you read for uh, for the audition
0: that was a scene that wasn't in the film it was a scene that um, was between Adam and Chloe and uh it was a scene it was actually a very cool scene. So I was like kind of bumped it wasn't in. It was a scene where they were just talking in the forest and um, and there was this entity fly, you know, like floating above her. So it was completely different. It was still in the very, very beginning and um, yeah, so it wasn't in the film.
2: Yeah. Besides just uh, being a horror movie, uh, what what interested you in, in the role?
0: What interested me, yeah, besides being horror, so horror, is, um, like I thought that it would be a lot of fun, and it was, and it was really draining, but I, I really liked it, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, so what else I liked about it was, um, so when they developed the script, it went into postpartum psychosis as this, this mental illness. Um, that so. So if I can quickly just, uh, you get baby blues and then you get postnatal depression and then you get postpartum psychosis. So only like, um, 0.1% women get postpartum psychosis and that's like a very, very severe and dangerous mental illness. Mm -hmm. It's when moms just completely, they, they hallucinate and, um, so this is worse than postnatal depression, which is quite common. Postnatal depression. Um, so post, sorry, postpartum psychosis is, is really, really scary. And I, I really, I read a lot of stuff, you know, books about it, and I watched a lot of documentaries. So I was like making it real for myself as real as possible. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So that was if, the
0: other very interesting thing for me.
2: Yeah. Was that what was draining about the role kind of getting into the, into that mindset?
0: Yeah. And like thinking to have to want to hurt your baby, you know, like, um, cause that's actually what happens is they hallucinate sometimes that they do hurt their babies. And, and that's just, cause I was like hurting kids. Uh, that, that's a little bit too far for me, you know, I was like, oh, <laughs> uh-huh. but, um, when I heard it's like a real disorder and everything, um, I, I respected that, you know. So just going back to the postpartum psychosis, um, Andrea Yates, is a, it's a very sad story. She's um, she's a woman from Texas, and she killed five of her children. And I just read her story and watched the documentary. So if something's wrong, it's I'm not off the book on this. Um, but I found it very interesting. And the first thing we would think is, what a monster, you know. But then I went... And I understood that she had, she had this mental illness and she needed medical attention. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then I kind of, I, I felt for her and I was like, I can never judge anyone if I don't know their situation. So I learned. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And,
0: um, so that was really great. Um, learning from that and yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, actually has your mom seen the movie?
0: Yes, my mom's seen it a couple of times. I think she's my number one fan. She <laughs> likes horror, so she's kind of oh, cute. that's good. <laughs> well,
1: that's yeah. excellent.
0: But she said the first time she saw her popcorn, she was like, "What?" She she,
1: <laughs>
0: she started crying. She's like, "No, this is this is too much. It's my it's my child."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and it is it is a much darker movie uh, than I thought it would be, you know, going in. Which uh, that's that's not an odd. That's positive for me, but. uh um, so when you're reading the script, uh, before they changed it, was it as dark?
0: Before they changed it, um, it was, I didn't think it was, I didn't read the script before it was changed. But I think they went into more of a the psychological horror, you know, like being more, you can either, it can be real for you or it can be um, fictional, you know, like, surreal in a way where I think Taryn's idea originally was so in South Africa they have this lullaby Simbamba which is the original yeah it's the original name of the film and um, it's really it's it's this lullaby it's an Afrikaans so it's different so in Afrikaans it would be Simbamba Mama Sakainki it would in English it would be Simbamba Mommy's Little Baby bring his neck, step on his head, make sure he's dead. And it's just like a lullaby we sing, you know, it's just like, oh, everyone knows the song. And, and, um, she linked, um, I think this is actually my mom texting me. So I'm sorry if it pinged (laughs) my
2: That's all right. Did you hear that? (laughs) No, I didn't hear it.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. So anyway, so, um, so what happens is she wanted to link, that with postpartum psychosis and um she's she 's a very young talented writer, and I think she she took on a very big you know um, a very big opportunity and she did it very well and um it was definitely a first um, for her as well, because she usually she writes different stuff. She writes drama or romantic comedy because that sells in South Africa. And I mm-hmm. think I'm just like talking now, and I went away from your question. Yeah,
2: <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's, it was good because <laughs> I I love the the lullaby, and I didn't know it was a real lullaby. Uh, but yeah. I think I think sometimes with something, even if you're not if you're not aware that it, that it's like something's been around a long time, it adds something to the movie. Like it, it kind of like subconsciously. There's something about about that nursery rhyme, mm-hmm. and uh, and then yeah. But you free guys
0: free. have a nursery rhyme, right? Well, what's the one in America? The
2: uh, the one
0: scary lullaby. Um
2: yeah. falling out of the tree there. Uh, what would be like a scary lullaby? Troy? Oh, let me see. Um, oh, what is it
3: even called? Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That thing.
0: Mm. Oh yes, yes, exactly.
3: Rockabye That's baby's terrible. pretty pretty, pretty yeah. creepy when you think about
2: it. Yeah. yeah. Rock about baby in the treetop when the wind blows, the cradle will rock, when the brow, bow breaks, the cradle will fall, and down will come baby cradle and all. Yeah. Yeah. It's know, pretty weird it's when you think terrible. about it.
1: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's weird because <laughs> you hear it all the time and you don't think anything of it, but then when you actually break down the words, it's like, wow, it's very bizarre.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the same thing with the South African one. So I guess it's like a universal thing. We have these terrible lullabies that we all sing, and we don't really think about the words.
1: (laughs)
3: Yeah, that's true. If you don't really think too much about it, it's like, okay, this kind of, like, has a nice... It sounds pleasant.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say, everyone, to stay for the credits, because then you hear, this isn't a spoiler at all, but they have a a music version of of um, of the nursery rhyme. That's pretty awesome.
0: Yes, that that's uh, Anton Huesen. He's, he's the um, musician, so he did that for the film, and I thought that was pretty cool too, yeah.
2: So you mentioned the writer. Uh, did she uh, have any interaction with you for the movie?
0: Yeah, I, I met her a few times um, with the readings and everything, and I just, because sometimes I didn't understand, you know, because it, it's such a bizarre thing. So she had like a whole like a state of emotions and yeah, she went really deep into it. And I think she, yeah, she helped me a lot. And um, so she's Taryn P- Prinsler and, um, and she's, uh, she's actually teaching at the university as well. So she's writing and teaching writing. And so I think we'll see a lot of cool stuff coming from her in the future. And I, yeah. and I, I don't, I think South Africa has like a lot of, for a stories that they still need to tell, you know, like mm-hmm. even myths and stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I'd be interested. Yeah, the, uh, there's so, a lot of folklore and things, you know, around there that, mm-hmm. that would make for interesting exactly. stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, exactly. uh, so, uh, so you wanted to work with the director Daryl uh, before uh, you got the role. What was it like to work with them?
0: Yeah, Daryl is. He's amazing. He's, I think, he's very intelligent. I think he can be a doctor or, you know, whatever he wants to be. But he chose to be a director, and that's
1: uh-huh. very
0: cool. Um, he is, he's designed the best ways, and uh, he, he just, he just wants. I don't know. Sometimes I thought, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm just going to trust you because, um, because you know better, and you've been doing films. You, he's been making films for decades I'm not sure how long but and uh and he has a lot of energy so it's very interesting because it's hard and some scenes were kind of um uh uncomfortable and everything and he just lightened up everything and yeah he's he's really really great to work with and if you ever meet him you'll see he you'll think he's a little bit um how can I say this He's very chill, you know, he just, he wears, like, T-shirts and stuff, so he's so chill. He's perfect for the horror genre, and I hope he does a lot more horror films. He did Lake Placid. Have you seen, he he did a remake of it now, so. Have you seen, yeah, the original one?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I liked the original one quite a bit. Yeah, I do, too. With Betty White.
0: Yeah, he did the remake (laughs) now, so. We'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be fun because he's a yeah. fun person and he's, he's smart, like I said. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, actually, uh, you may mention you liking horror movies and your mom being, uh, liking horror movies. What were some of the ones you liked uh, growing up? And what are her, some of her favorites?
0: Oh yeah. Um, so not that she's into, okay. I said she liked horror movies. She mm-hmm. likes like the shape of water. She liked, you know, anything little like and surreal them. and everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Say again. With
2: that. <laughs> I, I love that. That was probably my favorite movie last year. So,
0: The Shape of Water.
2: Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was so good. Wow, and I mean, all of the characters, Sally Hawkins and Octavia Spencer, all of them are just so brilliant, and it's mm. it's such a great script. It's really <laughs> good. Um, yeah. No. So the horror movies that I like, I like um, The Ring was like one of the first movies that really freaks me out. I was
1: 10 or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was like 10 or something and I I watched it. And, um, I remember we went one of my, I had an older friend and she bought tickets. So it's not the right, I know it's not the right thing to do, but anyway, and I watched it in the (laughs) movies and we were like the only ones watching. And I was like, oh, this is so scary. And, um, when I went home, I couldn't sleep and everything. Um, that was really that was really well done and scary and The Shining is just so brilliant. I'm mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson. is... He, and the movie is just also so random, but it really works. Um, I don't know if you guys liked it. I that one I is, is a Shining. classic. Of yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: I love yeah. it. Yeah, a, no, yeah I've seen classic. that at the big screen mm-hmm. too, which is which is cool.
0: That's <clears> very cool. And then. I don't know. The other ones that I, I, I watched for this film was Rosemary's Baby, Babadook, and um, I just saw fun because The Conjuring 2 was in cinema in South Africa. So I, I watched that one and uh, I, I think the actors are just brilliant and it's really scary. Yeah. I couldn't sleep for three days as well as I could. Ah, the woman's coming for me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The Babadook's a a good tie in, too, because it has the uh, kind of a, not necessarily nursery rhyme, but it has, you know, the book and it's kind of a a similar idea.
0: Exactly, yeah. So channeling from that, it really worked. And uh, Mm. I mean, Rosemary's Baby is kind of like, Uh, that's also, you know, that's one of my favorites. mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so and tell me a bit of, I mean, you guys obviously have watched a lot of horror movies. Are, are there any ones you recommend that I should watch?
2: Hmm. For like New newer ones? ones or for any, uh, hmm. Actually, you know, this last year was pretty good for, uh, was really good for horror movies, but you probably saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. The, great uh, movie. Devil's Candy last year was one of my favorite horror movies. That's a, a lesser oh, known yeah. one. I think it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I would recommend that
3: yeah it's a good indie that's film it's really really good
2: yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty dark oh, wow. it's, it's just a, a
1: good script you know and
0: good actors and everything it just yeah works. it's a real it's a really
2: great uh yeah it's a great uh, cast and what i like is the villain uh you feel sympathy for the villain even though he's doing terrible things i always think that's mm-hmm. a good uh sign of it oh, wow record. that's
0: powerful wow yeah, yeah. And tell me, um, get out. I know everyone.
2: Yeah, I, get I out.
0: Watched it too. It's
2: and, good too. This
0: is great, and yeah, yeah. So I watched that one too. Um, what was the one before? Was it the witch?
2: Think, oh yeah, the witch. A few
0: years yeah. ago.
2: Yeah, it was also, a couple years that was ago. Caesar. Yeah,
0: I was also yeah. the baby thing. I was like, no, the <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby.
2: Right when the baby disappears right at the beginning.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: so uh the, speaking of the, the music
1: the, yeah. oh yeah
2: the music is very good in, in the witch but i was thinking about the baby scene uh what was some what was like the hardest scene for you to shoot in uh in lullaby
0: um for me it would be i, I don't know like uh i didn't like hurting the baby you know like cutting his little fingers off i don't know it wasn't real or anything it's just
1: right, like right.
0: Well, I hope no, of course. <laughs> no, the thing is with a baby they're so helpless, you know. It's um so that's why I was channeling the whole thing of postpartum psychosis to make it real for me that I am in this like daze and I'm hallucinating and, you know, I'm not I'm not in my right mind. And um so that was difficult and also like an uncomfortable scene. I, maybe I'm gonna give something away but Um, I I know you'll know what scene I'm talking about. There's one scene that's like, um, there's actually two different scenes. That's, that's very, um, that makes a woman feel very vulnerable, you know, Mm -hmm. and weak.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So,
0: so those scenes were difficult too. um, yeah. But other than that, you know, we had such a small cast and they all were great and they made it a lot easier. And they were very respectful and great to work with.
2: Mm-hmm. How about when you saw the finished uh, product? Uh, what did you think of the movie? And were there any scenes uh, actually for you that were hard to watch for you?
0: I guess not. I guess when you watch your own stuff, you kind of watch more technically sure. um, because you were there. Um, mm-hmm. I think the cinematography is beautiful for me. Nice. I, I like that kind of thing. Yeah, because just as he did he, just as Diacher is, um he's he was the D P and and he just put so much into it and he's artistic and so I really like that. I really liked I think my favorite scene if when I watched it was the bath scene with um what happens in there, that one scene with the water mm-hmm. and everything. That was that was really beautiful. So I kind of just looked at it more in artistic with an artistic eye and mm-hmm. um I guess you do, you do judge yourself because it's yourself and you'd be like, Oh, I've changed that and that, but it is what it is. And I worked very hard. We had 18 days and we did everything in, um, in those 18 days. And, and as long as I enjoyed it and I learned from it, um, I feel that, you know, I, I did what I could and I, and I learned from it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought you were great in it. And, uh, uh, you know, from your regular pictures and, and yeah. in the movie, you definitely, uh, you know, you came across as uh, someone that was—I uh, don't want to say crazy, but you know, stuff's going on. So, you did, did a very good. Yeah, job.
0: inside the head. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> good. No, but when thank you, you. That's a great compliment.
2: You're, you're welcome. And when you when you saw the movie, did you see it with a with an audience?
0: No, no, no. I saw a screener before, so that's actually that helps too. You know, you can pause it and watch right. it. Right. And- go on on your own pace where um, I remember my first film that I did a couple of years ago um, I watched it in the audience and I was kind of like I couldn't talk it it was kind of like embarrassing but it it was I I think it came up well but you know it was just like everyone's watching you and you're watching you and it's (laughs) just kind of awkward (laughs) Uh yeah Yeah, so I I think it's nice to see it on the screen and then you know watch it with people you know what to expect
2: yeah 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 I don't think I would enjoy that watching something uh yeah
0: well,
2: I kind of have to when I edit the show but uh it's
1: uh-huh
2: yeah i don't i don't really uh, i do a lot of videos and stuff too, and uh yeah i I'm not a big fan of seeing myself on the video uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you always sound
3: good anyway, Neil
2: Uh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. it's uh.
0: You both have very good voices, so it works.
2: Yeah. Uh, Do we sound alike? Because actually, we are actually brothers, and we're from the same area. But a lot of people think we have different accents. Yeah.
0: No, you do sound different he He's different you know, to me he sounds completely different. <laughs> That's really cool that you're a brother <laughs> yeah. okay,
3: yeah, That's Neil has nice. no like accent, which is strange to me. like <laughs> every now and then I get that weird like Boston accent going mm-hmm. and you can't really yeah, hear that him
2: no, yeah, even very... people people, even people from this area don't think I'm really from here, <laughs> yeah,
0: no, you have a very they call it a standard American accent, it's very, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but your brother's got a little bit of a uh, Yeah, something going on So <laughs> where are you originally from? Sorry if I can ask Like,
2: That's uh, fine we're both, uh, yeah, we're both from Cape Cod In Massachusetts
0: Oh, Massachusetts, oh nice, okay Up there in the cold, nice Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is pretty cold uh, we, were, we lost some power uh, Last week, we had a big storm here That wasn't fun Oh, though.
0: I saw something like that No, that doesn't sound fun But yeah, I mean you guys are close to Toronto, close to New York, so oh, I
1: yeah, think you're in yeah. a
0: great area, so it's mm-hmm. great.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've actually never been to Canada, but I I've, I know there's a big uh, fest movie yeah. festival in the summer they want well, I've been uh, invited yeah, to a bunch of times. So, yeah, I should I should definitely go there.
0: I think that's <laughs> a really great festival. I I've, I've been watching them, you know what movies they recommend and it's always good. So yeah, I think it's a great festival.
2: Yeah. So have you been to like um for, for this movie or other movies, have you been to any festivals that were showing your stuff?
0: Um I've been to for the other films, but not mm-hmm. for this one particularly. Um they had it in Ireland and I know it's going to Scotland now, but yeah, no that no. would be fine. Okay, yeah, going to, I've
2: never saying. been to a horror film festival So I'd love to go Yeah yeah. So do, do you know why what they, they ch- Recommend ones? like um, uh,
0: see, I've, Horror film festivals <laughs> see,
2: I haven't been to a lot of horror film festivals myself I've been to a lot of horror movie conventions okay. You know with the, with the yeah. But uh, but I, it's been suggested I do more festivals Because they said you know people there sell their movies they be more likely to do interviews and mm-hmm. stuff So I'll get back to you When, when we do some and let you know which ones are okay. My that would favorite. be
0: great. Now, I'm just going to follow you guys on know. Twitter, you know, and everything. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So, um uh, what do you know why they changed the name from uh, from the original title of the lullaby?
0: I don't know the particulars, but what I think is, um, so Simbabla is a very um, what's a popular, like I said, the popular lullaby in South Africa. So, everyone in South Africa knew it, you know, but. Right. I think they wanted to make it more universal that people understand. Um, mm-hmm. because people would maybe not understand Simbamba. So they changed it for um, yeah, for a big, the bigger crowd.
2: Yeah. Is that interesting to you that you make a movie in South Africa about uh you know, it's got the South African um, lullaby in it and everything. And then it plays in other countries that so people uh, you know, watch it and then they enjoy it mm-hmm. and understand it?
0: Yeah, that's that's actually great because most of my films, um, well, in the beginning of my career, most of my films and TV work was in Afrikaans, so that's a different language, and um, and it's it's a great it's a great um, it's a great market and everything. But you know, if you do something in English, uh, more people understand and and it's got a bigger audience and yeah. You know, so I I know they wanted to go with this one. Obviously, in South Africa, there is not a lot of uh, horror support, you know, horror supporters. Well, Mm -hmm. I just don't know about them, you know, (laughs) but they went for, especially for South America and America, Canada, Um, Japan really likes this film, so they, they bought it too, and even Saudi Arabia and I don't know. A lot of you know, a lot of different smaller countries. Um, yeah. So it's nicer when you have it in English, you know. Um, so you can spread. You you can you know sell your film to more countries. It just makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. So, did you grow up uh, speaking both languages?
0: Yes, yes. So in South Africa, everyone speaks English, so we all understand each other. But we have nine official languages, so
1: oh, wow. we have all these wow. little communities. Yes. <laughs>
0: So Afrikaans is like kitchen d- Dutch, they call it. It's um, it's a lot like Dutch, but um, it's different, obviously. And yeah, so I grew up in Afrikaans community, mm. if I can say that. But my my family is English as well, so we're all like mixed. And yeah, and and despite what everyone thinks, I think the new generation, I we love each other, and and we're going to grow in South Africa. And I, I think. But I actually live in America now, so I miss South Africa a lot. So I'm going to say great things about South Africa because because it is a great country.
2: Yeah. yeah. So how, actually, how many languages do you speak?
0: No, so I just speak English, Afrikaans, and then um, a little bit of French and German.
2: All right. That's better than most of us, so I think. So. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> I still haven't mastered the English part, so you know. Once I do that, oh I'll
0: wow! <laughs> oh, I, I
1: hear
0: you. <laughs> English is difficult. It's a, it's a, Latin language. It's a difficult language. So, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's, um, so, so I mm-hmm. saw that you uh that you were on uh, an episode of Z Nation.
1: Did oh, you? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. You did watch you? Get... It? Yeah, I'm I'm behind on Z Nation, but I have watched the first couple seasons. Uh it's a weird thing now because now you can binge watch stuff so then you can be behind a little bit then you can catch up and watch a few seasons which I need to do which with is Z fun,
0: right? Yeah, It is
2: very fun, yeah.
0: But
2: it wasn't like at all. Watch,
0: sorry, now I have to ask, do you watch Z Nation and Walking Dead?
2: Yeah, well, I like them both. Uh, Z Nation's yeah, okay. uh, more comedic and uh, I actually think the characters okay, are more exactly. interesting than, than, than uh, a lot of the ones on The Walking Dead. But, <laughs> but uh, I like The Walking I Dead. Think... I, I really love the comic book.
0: Yeah, yeah, Walking Dead is just amazing too. And um, you know, like exactly what you're saying. Z Nation is a fun time. It's a, it's a fun zombie if you like zombie stuff. it's more in the line of was um, that film. It's really a cool film. Um, the com. Well, there was Shaun of the Dead. You know, oh, yeah. that's a more Shaun comedy. That's right.
2: Shaun of the Dead, yeah.
0: Uh huh. That that one and Zombieland, I think. yeah. Also. Oh yeah. Awesome.
2: Zombiel- yeah, yeah. With the with the clown zombie at the end. Yeah, that's a very good one. Dead Alive's a great yeah. one too, from from uh, New Zealand.
0: Oh, I haven't seen that one. Okay, it's uh, another film for.
2: Yeah, film. if you if you like fun zombie movies, that that's that's a great one. Yeah, it's just wild. Very wild. It's, oh, it's um so
4: cool Peter Jackson. Made he made it. Yeah? His,
3: Peter Jackson. Oh, Wow.
4: Movie.
3: Yeah, before like Lord of the Rings exactly. and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a wild. Well, that's I
0: something think it's, different.
2: Yeah, and I think it's called brain dead everywhere else. Besides, oh, that's right, it's called uh, dead alive. But yeah. yeah,
0: that sounds really cool. Wow, yeah,
2: I like it a lot. Did did you get to play a zombie on Z Nation? I don't I guess maybe not spoil it. I don't know. Oh
0: no, I'm not going to spoil it for you. <laughs> the Z Nation is really. <laughs> I had so much fun. You'll see, like when we watch it, um, I played Carly McFadden. This very ditzy and happy and, um, news reporter, well, she's actually a weather girl. And then, um, there's like these urgent, there's this urgent news, you know, she has to report it and she's like so excited to do it. And, um, yeah, and everything, they actually, um, covered the whole story of, um, of the zombie apocalypse. So it's a, it's flashbacks and everything. So I had, mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. And Dan Merchant was um, the director, and he also write he also he writes for the the series, and he wrote that one too. And he's incredible. He was um, he knew exactly what he wanted, and I like that, you know. And so you can just follow and um, and trust that he knows best.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that you're uh, you have a, a short that you wrote and produced, or it's coming out. Uh, can you tell us anything about it?
0: yeah so this whole horror thing i actually i watched a lot of horrors um in my teens and then i kind of took a break for two years i don't know why maybe just i didn't watch anything and then i started watching again and i really find horrors fun and i what i like about sorry now i'm gonna come to this short film what i like That's about horrors it, it takes you it takes you out of you know this reality and it's it just kind of works with your imagination and uh, and all the seri- you know because it's nice to watch a film that's based on a true story. I absolutely love that too. But it's also nice to watch a horror or a fantasy or sci-fi film. It just takes you somewhere else. And so the thing is, so I wrote and directed two short films last year. and they're, they're both um, you know um, horror or psychological thriller. Because that's the kind of genre that um, that I find that I resonate with, and mm-hmm. so I'm just playing with it, and hopefully it's going to get better from here. Um, so the one that I have is Squinma, so that's an Afrikaans, and my very good friend, um, she's a very well-known actress in South Africa, Marie Muleke van Jaarden, she plays in it and um so squinmar means mother-in-law so i just we okay. played with that and yeah so that's going into and then it's going to show in sweden now so it's going to film festival there and so it's just we just entered it into film festival so hopefully we'll get into a few mm-hmm. yeah
2: it's yeah. very cool and uh yes you saw the one on your imdb ico in uh, portland
0: Yes, I come Portland, so that's the psychological thriller one. Um, mm-hmm. I was living in Portland, Oregon for a while and um, by the way, Portland is such an amazing place. If you've never been there, you have to I've go. Never been there, no? it's beautiful. You know it's really cool and the people are are so friendly it's a, it's a beautiful little city
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's growing, which is cool. Okay, so Ico in Portland is um it's a psychological thriller and um and Taryn she plays the lead character and it's and it's about um it's kind of like it's just uh, this this camera. So no, the story's gonna sound ridiculous if I tell it. So <laughs> I'll when it when it's done like it's festival, you know, the whole brand I'll send you the link so you can watch it.
2: All right. I'd, I'd, I'd love to watch it. It seems that um, the last couple, the last few years that uh, shorts have really uh, become uh, popular.
0: Yeah. I think it's a great way to, you know, and I think festivals have become more popular as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's what mm-hmm. I think. Um, and I think it's good to, you know, in the beginning, if you want to direct and everything, I, that's what I think. Maybe make a few stuff, you know? You don't mm-hmm. want to not all you know if you, you went to film school great you know that's the number one thing to do and make your own stuff see what works see what doesn't work and just grow from there and and a lot of films do very well and then you can network with people and meet people because networking is very important in any career mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and yeah so, so it's a good way to get into the film industry and and grow yourself
2: yeah, I think uh, for several reasons. That's what you said. Also, it's a, uh, some practice, and also think it's a a good way for people to show uh, other people what they can do. Like, hey, uh, you know, check mm-hmm. this out. This ten minute short or whatever, uh, and then perhaps they'll uh, you know it, it'll help you you know uh, create a feature then you know at some point or work on a feature at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yes, you're talking. About, do you know Lights Out the movie?
2: Right. So- yeah, it was like a it's like a two minute short or something. Original, oh, yes, yeah. but the
0: short film got picked up to be, yeah, a feature film, exactly. So that's so mm-hmm. great. I mean, the short film it was really good. I was really impressed.
3: Oh, I think
2: yeah, it was really great. It spooked me out. The short film,
0: <laughs> yeah, just put on all the lights, don't put it <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right. And this is a practical thing actually about a, a film festival. If you go to a short film festival, uh. It, you don't have to vote as much time to each one. So if you if you're watching one that might not be the best, not to name any names or anything, it's like, well, I know mm-hmm. it's only five minutes long. That then there'll be another one after that. So, you know,
0: exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: but, I forgot but, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, go on. I'm sorry.
0: No, no. Tell me.
2: No, well, no was. I
1: right,
2: well, I I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier when we were talking about film festivals. Just earlier today, right. I was given a, a press badge for the upcoming boston underground film festival it's coming up march 24th weekend so i'm looking forward to that
0: that's really cool that's going to be really fun
2: because yeah. films,
0: like you said there's going to be great ones there's going to be you know you all there's always someone that likes your film so don't feel you know <laughs> and you'll grow Um, talking about film festivals so a friend and I and another um, two friends and I we started a film festival in South Africa two years ago and we're still keeping on with it and it's a lot of work it's a lot lot of work and we had to recruit like a lot of people helping us and you know a whole collaboration but it's just fantastic to see short films and oh, the animation is one of my favorites. I didn't find a lot of horrors. That's why I wanted to make a few horrors too, because mostly it would be, um, you know, dramatic shorts or um, comedy is not common as well. So Mm -hmm. I would suggest if you, you know, just from my point of view, if you make a short film, yes, drama is beautiful and you can do that and make sure it's a strong story then and all of that. But if you can do a comedy or a horror, you know, that's something that, um, that's not as common. And I think you have a better chance to get in.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, which part uh, do you enjoy most? Do you enjoy acting or, you know, creating something like uh, writing and directing it or is it just all the same? Is it all creation?
0: I don't know, like 90% of my career has been acting, so I really enjoy that. But I think mm. I am moving into a stage in my life that I want to do something else in the film industry as well. And uh, and I do enjoy that, but I still need to learn a lot. So I'd say mm. at the moment I enjoy acting more because I would feel more comfortable there.
2: Yeah. So um, mm. I know the Lullaby is out now. How can people uh, get it? Is it on uh, uh, video on demand? Or is it on DVD yet?
0: No, it's not on DVD. It's um, it's on iTunes, and I know it's in selected theaters. Um, in Atlanta, Phoenix. Uh, hmm. I actually need to know this. Sorry, I, I, should,
2: have, I should have known. Yeah, I should have known
0: myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and New York. Well, there's a couple of theatres. Oh, Miami as well. And, uh, hmm, Cleveland. Oh, I'm naming all of them. So, yeah. So there's a few theatres that have that, um, that's showing it, which is really nice of them. Um, being that it's a South African film, you know, and it's not very, it's not like we're known here at all. You know, people don't know Daryl. Maybe people do, but I, I just mean he's a South African director and everything. Mm-hmm.
2: um yeah, so, I, yeah. Have, I do yeah. have the li- yeah i'll just say this real quick i do yeah, have the yeah. list here it's phoenix la philadelphia chicago atlanta dallas cleveland san francisco miami and denver
0: oh look at you thank you so much yeah. that's very kind of you yeah so it's showing at those theaters and um you can get it rented on itunes and i'm sure like they'll uncorked they will um you know, announce everything as it comes in and as it happens. Yeah. So I would like to know a very, like being a reviewer, do you guys get like a reviewing screener? May I ask this? Is this a question I can ask? I'm always very curious.
2: So how 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 do do we get that? that? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, They usually send us a a screener link. Sometimes uh, companies will send a physical screener, like a DVD or Blu-ray but usually it's a link and then you get a password and you can uh, watch it like on Vimeo. Usually is where people, it's usually where the, the, the companies put it up.
1: Okay. That
0: makes sense. It makes it easier for everyone. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, okay. Mm-hmm.
2: No, right. that makes sense. Yeah. And, and make sure you don't, if you get a screen or anybody, don't, don't share the links out to other people. That's bad. Yep. Bad for everybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's for everybody. Cause you, because I think it's difficult these days to accept if you're like, you know, Black Panther or anything to um to make money on your movie because everyone can pirate it and just, you know, watch it illegally because it's so easy for people to do that. But mm-hmm. um, the thing with music, it's, it's difficult, I think, you know, to mm-hmm. keep it secure. Yeah,
2: know. I think they say for you know, most musicians, they make their money touring. Cause there really isn't a lot yeah. of money to make anymore. And uh, that's kind of sad, world. really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know you even just, going, so hard. Mm. yeah, exactly. Go on. What you say? I'm sorry.
0: No, you go on.
2: <laughs> well, I was just going to say, cause we've had some guests on the show. Um, uh, like a few years ago, tales from Halloween and, um, mm-hmm. Tur- turbo kid. And both of them were like, um, they're like the, both when they came out, they were the number one, most, uh, torrented movie above like uh, Jurassic World and the new Terminator at the time. Uh, it really, really wow. hurts like in independent movies because wow. this, the, the other movies, you know, there's a lot of people who can go to the theater and these movies, and they're not. And so if you want, like, uh, yeah. then people complain sometimes that there's not, you know, original horror movies out there. There's always these remakes and stuff. But uh, it, a lot of it is because that you should, you know, uh, support yeah, you the... the support it, right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Well, that's very sad. And I and I hope it does, you know, oh, that's really sad to hear. That's exactly what's happening. It's like people trying to break in and then, you know, people just pirate their movies and just, you know, never make money of it and you yeah. can't really make your next one and it just goes on like that. Because yeah. the independent stuff is it's great. It's, it's always got different flavor, you know, a different flavor, mm-hmm. a different mm-hmm. recipe. If I can say that, you know, it's got, it's, it's always different and unique. And, and that's, it's always refreshing to watch because it's different from the whole commercial, you know,
2: so. Can, mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, and that's where, you know, a lot of t- times people, uh, the few, you know, the, like, is he, uh, Troy mentioned Peter Jackson making, um, uh, dead Alive, so, you know, when mm-hmm. young Peter Jackson was making as as an independent uh, filmmaker and he made that then, you know, went on to make, you know, all these direct movies, and so you never know uh, someone who's making a small movie, independent movie, where they can go from there. Maybe they'll stay with independent movies, like mm-hmm. a George Romero or something, but, you know, he never really make, yeah. might become the next Peter Jackson.
0: Exactly. No, so, and what I like about scary movies, I'm sorry, we're just talking about, like, I like that whole horror thing. It's, um, it's, you can have so many different characters, interesting people. You know, it's not the whole, oh, you want this person to look like,
5: I yeah, it's don't like know, the if cookie I'm explaining
0: myself. <laughs> yeah. It's, you bring very interesting characters in, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria Olsen, she's a she's a South African actress. She's been living in um, Los Angeles for about 13 years. And she also makes a lot of um, horror films and she's got such a great, you know, she, she can do characters, you know, characters very well, different types of characters. And that's, that's, nah, sorry. (laughs) That's what's fun about horror is you can, you can be some, you know, you do not have to be the normal girl next door or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, always different characters and it makes it more interesting for me to watch sometimes
2: yeah and there's different um if a movie is considered a horror movie that that doesn't even narrow it down what genre it really could be in because it could be a comedic horror movie it could be uh
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: gory it could be you know this is a psychological it's all different types of horror movies
0: That's very true. okay okay but wait like so or something like that that would be more thriller i guess or would mm-hmm. you say horror?
2: Yeah, thriller or horror, but, but then at the same time, it's a, you know, it's a grittier type of movie.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. More blood and more, you know, pain and everything. Yeah. Well, I feel that The Lullaby is more of a psychological horror. It's, um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely, it's not like it where it's it's a horror, like a full-on um, Mm -hmm. mind fucking horror that was also very scary (laughs) yeah
1: yeah. it was
0: so well done I mean the budget behind it it's just so beautifully done and the kids oh my goodness yeah they they were were
2: great in it yeah
0: wow no they were amazing
3: yeah it wasn't like the perfect casting I think for that movie
0: (gasps) exactly I mean the girls and all the boys and they were all just perfect they are very excited to see who's going to be casted as the older people, you
2: know, adult.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Um. Poor Georgie, he's not going to be. He's just going to be
2: himself. (laughs) No, no more Georgie. He's so
0: cute.
2: He is very cute. cute. And then it it makes it. Yeah, that really brings out the horror of it because you're so you like the kid so much, and then uh, see him get ripped apart. Very uh, (laughs) traumatizing, and then to see him throughout the movie popping up.
3: I think that was the worst of it when he showed up again. Then you're like, oh no.
0: Yeah, without the arms, no.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Then you're (laughs) feeling bad for poor Bill at that point in time.
1: (laughs)
0: Yeah, poor poor brother. No, um, this is like, so it's very so South Africa obviously has like a lot of a smaller country, you know, and smaller budgets we're having fun with the whole film industry and, and I guess it is, it, well, I'm not guessing, I, I know it's growing. So, um, I would feel that America's the biggest filmmaking country, obviously. And then you get Bollywood and Hollywood and
1: you get <laughs> the UK
0: and Australia and New Zealand. So I trust that South Africa would, you know, come on the map, um, mm-hmm. hopefully soon. But you need more producers like we, Andre and Samuel. They were our producers and it was, it. Because everyone was like, why do you make a horror, you know? Romantic comedies are the only thing in South Africa that makes money. But they took a leap of faith, I guess, and just, like, did what they liked. And um, that was very brave. So kudos to to them for, you know, doing that.
3: Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, that's great to hear things like that, though. Because, you know, everything's going to start somewhere.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think now with, with all on the demand and Hulu and Netflix and all these things, it does make it uh easier for for uh movies from other other countries to uh you know, be seen in other countries.
0: Mm. Mm, exactly, yeah. No, that's that's very true. Um I don't know, I haven't really seen when living in America, you kind of you, you see all the you know, you see all the American films and stuff. Um but even in South Africa we watch a lot of American films. Um it's just such a big industry, you know, it's, it's actually, but you guys should actually, I think you should be different countries within America because it's it's a really big country.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. true.
3: There's a lot of diversity.
2: Yeah. And there's different parts yeah. of the country have much different uh, politics and different thoughts on things. So, yeah, it's, a. It's, you can't really just say you're an American uh, and and need to be all the same. I mean, a uh, Texan is much different than someone in Los Angeles or or up here in the Northeast.
0: <laughs> exactly, and you guys have like different accents too.
2: <laughs> right, exactly. You,
0: you know, you, know, you uh-huh. get the next accent and then you get Boston. <laughs> yeah. I don't know; it's really interesting. It's, it's, I I find Americans, but stereotyping now, I find Americans <laughs> very friendly. You know, overall very um interested in other cultures and everything so that's very you know it's, it's been helping us living in america that at least they're very not closed off and they don't want to talk to us they're actually right. very kind <laughs>
2: uh, how long have you how long have you been in america
0: so i've lived in portland for a year and then for a few months in redondo beach so All yeah right. about 14 months yeah that's not, not oh, a long
2: nice. time all right, all right, yeah, I've never been yeah. to uh never been to Portland. I think the furthest up that direction was Seattle, Washington,
0: oh, but Seattle's beautiful, wow yeah, it's
2: very it's, nice. uh,
0: yeah mm. with the water and everything it's it's such a beautiful city and yeah. um so do you guys know what states are um I don't know what good horror states states that Kind of support
2: car phones mm. and everything. It's interesting. I kind of think um, horror has its own little uh, like audience in different parts of the country. Like as okay. opposed to, I think maybe like one state's all horror. I think like you probably will find like a horror community, you know, dip- in different cities. Okay. There's, po- there's probably like a yeah. I would think there's like a horror crowd in every city. Well,
1: that's just to, great. That's just
2: good. I know it's big in Atlanta. We're there in Atlanta. Um, this is okay. of Boston, Los Angeles, probably.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I feel that um, in Portland, I had a few friends that likes. Um, they liked watching a lot of indie horrors, horrors that weren't you know famous or anything. They yeah, they would screen that or you know for fun and everything. So that was interesting. So I hear what you think. Every community will have you know a group of people that that likes horror
2: Yeah. You know. yeah yeah and it's good yeah. wherever you are to try to find like because uh, we have a couple uh, theaters in boston that show a lot of older movies and art house movies and it's good if you can find something like that and try to support it because
1: mm-hmm. if
2: places you know aren't places like that aren't around uh, a lot of movies mm-hmm. won't get seen
0: exactly yeah no that's very true and but like you said with netflix and everything you can um i know with hallow you know halloween Mm
1: -hmm. that's
0: also nice because then you can you can click like horror movies and it's all there and it's really easy to watch and everything so that's kind of fun too definitely there's a
2: theater in boston i've been going to for the last five years maybe and they do a they do a horror movie marathon every Halloween. And it's from midnight oh, Halloween till noon the next day. So it's 12 hours of uh, horror movies.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, that's that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, you have to be very, like, shocked after that. Like...
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they usually give you a pen so that says, like, I survived the marathon. Because most, most people leave by the time. But <laughs> they'll stay for the first few hours, so 12 <laughs> hours.
3: So... Yeah, I don't know if I could do, like, a whole you know, 12 or 24 12 hours. hours on anything. <laughs> yeah, even if it was like Disney cartoons, yeah. I don't know if I could
2: handle that. <laughs> but
0: have you finished it, Neil? Was it I have.
2: Yeah, yeah. This last oh, one, wow. I didn't even, I, it was, yeah, this last year I didn't even fall asleep. I usually uh, will <laughs> try try to stay up, but usually I'll fall asleep during a movie or two. But uh, this time I, okay. I tried to pace myself. I <clears throat> took a little break between each movie and walked around a little bit. and Got something to drink and uh so I made it through all twelve hours.
0: Well, that is very impressive. Wow. You can be <laughs> proud. I mean twelve hours through the night. <laughs> yeah.
2: Twelve hours. Uh, I'm with
0: some nice. I'm like I'm with showing I would yeah. sleep in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's okay. really it's
0: um I think horror movies, um are just gonna continue to become scarier and scarier, you know. And um mm-hmm. And reaching, you know, you get psychological, like you said, comedy and all of those different. So it's so broad. And I think Mm -hmm. there's, you know, for everyone, there's a movie.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Then there's a great, like, world vibe on things like that, too. Like, if you watch, like like you were saying about The Ring, you know, if you watch more Mm -hmm. like that Japanese-style horror film, they they mm-hmm. usually have these great visuals but maybe like the storyline's not as cohesive mm. as maybe i like but you know and then you'll get like other like european films that you know are more like character driven and yeah. you know it's kind of it's kind of cool just to look at like you know just like the whole palette of everything okay
0: that's i want do you have like a japanese movie that you could um that you know of I've heard they were very scary I don't
3: know they, they are but they're so visual they don't expect like a great ending. yeah
4: yeah yeah okay
3: um like Ringu the original ring was Japanese yeah and then also okay, the garage wow. is is Japanese too um oh, the
0: remix yeah the English yeah. remix okay yep yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Wow. Okay, oh, it's more visual, so they would have a lot of great jump scares. And oh, kind of yeah.
3: Yep. Scares and... There's crazy things See, that's things also happening. fun. Yep,
0: yeah.
3: yep. But, like, personally, exactly. I always like more like a character-driven thing.
1: So, mm-hmm.
3: um, a- another remake, um, if you saw, like, which one's the American version, Neil? Is it Let the Right One In, or is that the French one
2: uh that's that uh, that's the right one in is the uh the, the it's a French or or Belgium, but that's Swiss, okay. Swedish
3: I think oh Swedish okay but they're both like you know it's a it's about like a little kid vampire it's a great movie wow um, yeah that's vampire. another good one to look
2: up yeah that's one of my favorites and so then uh, the American version is fine but it's pretty much just a shot for shot remake just that you know in English
1: oh. yeah
0: yeah yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. No, I'd, I'll watch the original one,
1: and yeah. maybe
0: the English one. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. the originals obviously with that, it was that person's dream to make that film, and right? He or she did. Hmm. No, okay. So that's very interesting to hear all remakes and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But we wouldn't, I wouldn't know, you know, I thought the ring was, like, just <laughs> an oh, original. Oh, right, right.
3: Yeah, if you had nothing, <laughs> you know, to, like, compare it to. Well, you know, if you didn't see an ad for, because one of our guests, Adam Green, you tell the story better mm-hmm. than I do, Neil.
2: Yeah, he's actually one of our first guests on the show. And he made the movie Hatchet, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you're familiar with. But it had a great tagline in it. It was, uh, um, what's was uh, what was the tagline? To <laughs> try to think that um, it's been a it's been a long time ago. Not, not a remake. Not, not a remake. Yeah, not a remake. Not yeah. a sequel, and not based off uh, a Japanese movie. And I always thought that was a funny tagline. And so I asked him about it on the show, and he said it was an actual um, from an actual email he got when he was trying to sell the movie, and uh, one yeah. of the one of the companies turned him down, and said the reason why they turned him down was. Because it wasn't a remake, it wasn't a sequel, and it wasn't based oh. off of it.
3: was too original, and that yeah, was, yeah that was like his,
0: his rejection
3: letter.
0: That's a great rejection letter. Too unique. I'm sorry. Unique. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't even tell you
3: that. That's kind of like a disheartening thing. Like, uh, that, yeah. don't bother. Just remake something else. Don't, don't, don't do anything original.
1: <laughs> yeah, please don't
0: think out of the box. <laughs> yeah, that,
3: that'd be crazy.
2: <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's good. Yeah. No, so, it's um. <clears throat> well, uh, interesting. We do have another guest coming up, so. Uh, it's yes. been great talking to you, Raina, and we'd love to have you back again sometime. Yeah, so thank you so
0: much, like Neil. Neil and, yeah, and, and Troy, I'm right. Like, yep, yep. Neil, your brother. Yes, mm-hmm. okay. It was, love to, it was lovely speaking to two brothers, and uh, thank you for having me, and uh, I hope to see a lot of great reviews, and I'm going to read your reviews and take your recommendations for the future.
2: All right, awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, I'll just, now I'm just to send you links Like every couple days <laughs> You'll get yeah, sick you of us do. at
1: hotel. Watch this one Watch this one Okay. <laughs> like
2: I'm running out of time here
0: Yeah I'm just gonna You know, skip it You know, like fast forward Yeah, uh, there you go the ending in the beginning Yay <laughs> no, thank you so much I appreciate yeah.
2: it I appreciate you coming on All
0: right. Yeah, thank you Have a great chat
4: Black as night, you make me feel like a god. you scream screaming full of tears, afraid to lose me.
2: Welcome back to the station of decapitation with Hot Trade. I'm still Nasty Neil, and I remain terrible Troy. Mm-hmm. And now we're joined by Greg Deliso of Hectic Knife, which is totally insane. Welcome to the show.
5: <laughs> hey guys, thanks for having me, and thank you for pronouncing my last name right. I can't believe you did that. No one ever does that. I'm, I'm,
2: really? <laughs> yeah. And I I and usually I, never get anyone's name right, so I'm very uh, proud of myself. Uh, so. Good job. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Hectic Knife. Uh, now, I'm honest on the show, uh, and Wait, hectic, yes. hectic Knife, I absolutely loved. Right away, when I started watching it, I was like, this is going to be a movie I dig, and uh, I was totally into it right away, and it's it's, it's great. Now, it's definitely not going to be a movie for everybody, but it's definitely a movie for me, and I think a lot of people who listen without your head.
5: Oh, thank you so much, man. That's so nice of you to say. I appreciate it a lot. I know it's definitely not for everyone. Um, some of those people we've heard from, of course.
3: But uh, no,
5: they're usually the vocal ones. Right. No. Fortunately though, we we uh, we thankfully, you know, the minimal amount of uh, stuff that we do get, we get some we get really good, you know, nice things that people say. So it's really cool. But no, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you for being one of the uh, weirdos, I guess, that likes my <laughs> weird movies. So yeah, yeah. mine and Pete's of course. It wasn't just mine, but yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's not something I could, like, ask you, like, hey, tell us what uh, Hectic Knife's about, because it's pretty much, like, impossible to explain, I think, to do it justice.
5: Thank you. Well, thank you. Right, yes. I'll take that I'll take that as a compliment. How about that?
2: Oh, exactly. I would, even though it's much different, just uh, for people out there who listen to the show and really like the Greasy Strangler, even though it's much, it's a different movie. But I think if you're into that kind of vibe, and I know we have a lot of Greasy Strangler fans, I think you would like uh, Hectic sure. Knife.
5: Thank you. And we we actually get compared to Greasy Strangler quite a bit just from fans and people that have seen both. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I actually... Uh, heard about the Greasy Strangler from people telling me, oh, you should see this other movie. And when I watched it, I totally understand the similarity. A lot of it has to do with, I think, um, casting non-actors kind of, um, you know, making it very blatant that you're like feeding them lines and either having them sort of repeat them or just uh, kind of get crazy with stuff like that. Um, you know, we were obviously doing similar things. So there's similar jokes, uh, you know, jokes based on repetition and timing. Yes. and things like that. So it kind of has the same feeling um and you know yeah i mean i definitely appreciate what they're doing too it's really cool it's i I thought it was really funny and i liked it a lot so i'm proud to be uh you know had that comparison for sure
2: yeah i was going to bring up the repetition and kind of sometimes when things you would think go to too long but that's part of uh, the the humor
5: right right right
2: so uh where did the whole when did hectic knife when did you start to write it when did it start to come about
5: yeah, so way back in 2010, it was a five-year production, and it's so interesting how with these indies, you know, I'm talking to you now, but you know, High is a tiny micro budget, you know, funded by two people and our fathers, you know, and our and our friends and family um, with uh, about fifteen or twenty thousand over the course of um five years so it was really about a 2k investment per year for each of us working on it um and uh you know it's interesting because we finished the movie at the very end of 15 I contacted uh Troma um right away uh, just through contacts that I had built up living in New York at the time when we started making it and so um I contacted Lloyd Kaufman right away we kind of signed this distribution deal and in 2016 we came out with uh, a limited edition dvd there were a thousand of those and then we kind of came out we did a couple screenings and um we, we were put on amazon prime and troma now which is their monthly streaming service um but now here it is all the way in in 18 and our blu-ray just came out um and that's loaded with special features sorry to do all these like kind of shameless plugs but it's it just, cool. just a slow uh, rollout and so now we're in year eight of this uh you know the life of hectic Knife. but really um you know peter and i we met in high school and we were uh, you Know, really good friends and everything. I was a fan of his band, and so we um, we're both living in New York City in this little area of Brooklyn, and uh, we were working on projects together. He was doing music, and I was doing my movie stuff and editing documentaries and trying to make films. And uh, we started collaborating on these short films, and "Hectic Life" just kind of happened to be one of them. Pete, um, we sort of delegated our roles uh very quickly you know i i shot and edited uh and directed the movie and then pete was the producer um and the star he also played hex and knife and then he did the score so it was really just the two of us kind of doing all the main roles and working on it ourselves and um you know to answer your question about the script so we never wrote a traditional script and i think if you see the movie that makes a lot of sense but uh-huh. it's also not um improvised as much as you would think either it's like as, as i guess i'm um, a shame to say maybe that uh, you know most of it was written in a sense because it, it does seem improvised because some of it's so crazy. But um, what we would do was when we, we were kind of making little short films and we realized that we liked this character that we created named Hectic Knife and everything, so we started adapting that idea into a movie, but we only had the money to shoot once a week. So we set aside Mondays. We were both freelancers, and we would shoot every Monday, and we did that for 15 weeks. But the way that we wrote it was – every wednesday or so we would walk around our little brooklyn neighborhood with a recorder and again this is like eight years ago all the way back in 2010 we'd walk around with our uh recorder and we would just try to make each other laugh kind of pitching each other scene ideas and you know i think hectic should have a roommate what should his name be you know this and that kind of bouncing the ball back and forth and whatever we liked the most and laughed at the most and connected to the most we just wrote that stuff down and then Pete as the producer would sort of turn that recording into what I would call um, like a call sheet mixed with a shooting script and it, for people in the business or not in the business what that, what that means is basically he would you know write out based on our recording the exact script with all the dialogue and the characters that we'd written and then he would put together um, like a sheet of paper based on that that listed out you know we need these props and these costumes and this amount of fake blood and these bagels and these actors and stuff for this shoot And we would just do it that way. So it was kind of written week to week. And um, writing it organically like that, you know, it's not traditional and it's obviously kind of a makeup as you go. But it gave us a lot more freedom to sort of find, um, you know, the, the style and the tone as we went and kind of craft it that way um because you know it is such a bonkers thing that doesn't follow um like any kind you know it has kind of a plot but it doesn't there's no real formulaic thing it's kind of you know open ended and experimental and and also um you know it's very it's just joke heavy it's sort of relying on the jokes to get by there's not like there's no character arcs and you know hectic doesn't learn some big lesson by the end and all these things so um to be able to kind of crafted out that way uh over the the span of time you know it's obviously frustrating when you have no money and you're only able to you know to make a movie over the course of five years because it's just you know it's become such a painstaking process but i think um being able to kind of hone it in that way was uh was it helped us a lot
2: Mm -hmm. well what what was
5: the decision to uh do it in black and white um well so i should i take the tape on tape i I used the panasonic dvx uh, 100b which kind of in movie history was the first, you know, 24 P sort of prosumer camera, if you will, um, you know, mixed between professional and consumer. And it was before HD even existed at all. And it sort of was the first camera to give a real kind of a filmic look to the digital uh thing that was happening. But, you know, by now it's actually it's totally archaic and the idea that it was shot on tape is crazy. But um you know I shot it in color obviously, but the the idea behind not only the black and white but also the four or three were a couple things. First of all, black and white kind of covered up um just sort of how cheap-looking it would it would actually be in color because to do color, you know, you uh, and especially to, to have color that shows up really nice on our HD TVs and these huge, you know, Blu-ray and all this stuff, 4K, um, you know, it, it would end up looking so pixelated and so crappy. But with the black and white and the high contrast. It, uh, it really kind of filled in those, those edges and sort of being able to use black as negative space and just sort of um, give everything that kind of feel to it. It sort of just, you know, it made, the, it made not only the world feel smaller and more contained, uh, but it sort of added production value by kind of turning it from something that looked really cheap into, you know, art and then um, the look of it was specifically inspired, really, by Darren Aronofsky's *Pi*, which is this high contrast, uh, sixteen millimeter uh, black and white independent movie from the late '90s. And um, the DBX really mimicked that look really well. I was able to uh, get a lot of really natural grain in the footage itself by turning the gain in the camera all the way up, and um, you know, able to get that high contrast look. And I just liked how the four or three, you know, it's the Kubrick um, aspect ratio. You know, in a lot of his movies, apart from obviously apart from *2001* and stuff stuff like that. But uh you know, a lot of his movies were in 4-3, and obviously a lot of older movies, almost all older movies were, were uh you know, I say old but you know of a certain period, um, are all in 4-3 because that was their shape. And so I just thought that the boxed in shape and the high contrast, it made it more cartoony. It made it more like a comic book, which um, you know, Haggellnife is certainly kind of spoofing and homaging the whole kind of comic book uh you know feel and not only just the look and feel but also sort of the black and white lines of like, this is the bad guy and this is the good guy. And it's like a, you know, kind of a stark contrast. So everything being that way, it just sort of felt right. And that's kind of where the black and white fit in.
2: Mm -hmm. I I like that. Everyone just basically, uh, states who they are, what they are. Like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a junkie and, you know, just writing, uh, uh, just writing the dialogue. I know you said like, it wasn't actually written as a script or anything, but, uh, uh, what was like some of the thought process and just the, the how you how you wrote the movie?
5: Well, I think both Pete and I uh, think that exposition is really funny, and exposition being uh-huh. you know, how you sort of introduce information that's vital to the plot, or you know, introduce a character's name or things like that. And I think in real, you know, I say real, I shouldn't say real, but I think in other movies, you know, in, in um, you know, bigger, more normal movies, however you want to say Hollywood movies. Um, exposition is really difficult, and it can all, all, often be very comical because you know you have to introduce this information, and sometimes it's just funny. so you'll end up having uh, you know some person say a line, uh, you know, they'll see someone and they'll say, oh, you know, Johnny, I, I haven't seen you in five years, and that was before the war. and it's just like, you know, something <laughs> nobody would ever say, but right. they had to kind of get that information out, right? So to us, you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, look, this I'm twenty four years old. this is my first movie. I think exposition is really funny. and, I sort of have this built in um, advantage where if we're doing this sort of crazy comedy, then we can turn all the exposition into jokes. So to us, like, you know, when the, the girlfriend, Franny Gloop, uh, Flint, uh, excuse me, Franny Glooper, it's hard to say, uh, Franny Glooper, when she introduces herself a million times, with all the accents. Um, the idea there being that, you know, part of the joke is obviously the repetition and all that stuff. But it also does something, um, you know. fun and easy where it's like well you know it's hard for you to forget her name now right because she just repeated it a million times so Uh it's kind of like uh it, it makes the exposition like memorable and um but also just a joke at the same time so it's kind of like you know, if you hit people over the head with this information, you know, they're definitely not going to forget it. Um, but also it's a joke, you know, it can become a joke, too. And and really, a lot of these kind of Hollywood movies are just exposition. Like if you look at someone did a really funny cut down of um, all of Ellen Page's questions in the movie Inception, and it's just her, you know. 10 minutes of her just, you know, what about this? And how did this happen? And why did you do it this way? And it's just like, you know, so you can see how in the writing that character is just a device to get that information out. And she's just asking questions. And it's just like when you see a movie that has really brilliant exposition, it's always sort of hidden and tucked in there sure. somehow and things like that. So with Hectic Knife, it was just like, well, how do we blow this whole concept up? So, well, yeah, we just have characters that, you know, narrate themselves <laughs> and announce uh-huh. who are and keep repeating it and things like that and again it's just i think it has a lot to do with not only a joke but it's like you know it how you know how easy is it now to forget the name Frenny glooper after you've heard it a million times <laughs> know, just like and it's also a thing of two. it's like well even if you didn't like the movie uh you're sort of almost like forced to remember it which i mean that's not a bad thing either it's like you know, it's not it's not a movie for everybody, but I'd, I'd still like the idea that it's kind of, you know, sticking in people's heads. Kind of even if they did, if, even if it isn't something that they would like, just because of the repetition and things. So it's kind of you know, it's a little bit artistic trickery at, the, at times, but also yeah. just, but really just jokes just because we thought it was funny.
2: I thought it was fantastic. And uh, I don't uh, That's a weird question. But do, uh, do you watch wrestling at all? Professional wrestling?
5: Uh, I do not. I ha- um, you know, some of my best friends uh, do and things. They're kind of out of touch with it right now, I think. Uh, my yeah. wife is a big wrestling fan at the time. Why do you ask?
2: Because uh, they do that in the last, like, I'd say three, maybe five years. And I always think it's so ridiculous. Every wrestler comes out and they just stand in the ring and say, my name is, you know, Rick Flair, And it's like, well, everyone knows who they are anyway but they do it every single week. And I always just think it's so ridiculous. Cause it's like, well, no shit. And who right. in the hell talks like that? You know, you exactly. know but, you know, everybody.
5: but uh-huh. it's smart because if they have a new viewer coming in, you know, right, right. Then Hey, who are these people? Well, here you go. You know, it's just kind of like for, for you guys, it's just yeah. repetition, but for new people, it's a thing. So it's, it has that level. It can kind of do different things, but I, that is really funny, man. I say that's the thing it's like, it's silly, is where you say I'm Ric Flair. Yeah, we know You say that every day for fifty years now, you know? It's like right,
2: exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Uh do you have any inspirations uh to, to make the movie at all?
5: Dude, my best story with a Time for review so far, and this is totally true, I swear. So if you look on MDV, um, there's a couple, uh, yeah, I think we have, you know, seven or so uh, user reviews. You know, just people that watched it and wrote it, wrote a review. And I don't know who those people are. They're not like, these are not friends or family, you know, some of them. <laughs> and so this one guy wrote this really long, long-term review, and I was so happy and stuff. But what was so cool is that inside his review, like near the end, he said, "Oh, this felt like a mashup of *Airplane!* and *Eraserhead*." And it's amazing that he said that because oh. those were the exact two movies that I was sort of trying to channel together uh, back in 2010 when we first started making this. And then, um, so it's amazing that that someone was able to kind of key in on that. I think the black and white, you know, obviously helps. But I think that, you know, the, it is it was that sort of, um, you know, slapsticky, silly, jokey quality or um, not even just those kinds of really all kinds of jokes, you know, so, just groaning jokes and, you know, just weird jokes and visual jokes. So I was just throwing all those in, in you know, tr- into the movie. And the fact that someone sort of picked up on that air, airplane quality and, and the weirdness was amazing to me. Um, our biggest singular influence, or at least mine for sure was david wayne and so his movie what had american summer which to me Hector knife is basically just like a baby version of what had american summer i mean what had american summer was made for what 1.5 million dollars or something like that and it's you know it's a it's a summer camp homage you know parody type, type movie not a parody of any specific one movie but kind of a parody of a whole genre and a whole era and so Hector knife sort of is too i mean it's a tiny you know it's a tenth of that budget, or I guess a hundredth or something, like 15000 um, But it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a parody of a whole swath of movies at once and taking on kind of joking the whole Hollywood trope of things and stuff. So uh, that was definitely a big influence, and in all of David Wayne's movies were huge. Um, and then, you know, Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered, uh, Mel Brooks' Spaceballs, um, movies like that. I mean, even movies like Clerks where – You know, it's like not exactly the same kind of comedy, but the fact that he did that, you know, made a movie on a micro budget and kind of was able to, you know, go so far with it. And obviously that's, you know, a one in a million story, but just the idea that that was possible was a huge influence. And, you know, for me, my main influences, though, uh, you know, just for comedy and also for my life and for my art and for movies, um, you know, Seinfeld is a huge influence on me, The Simpsons, South Park um stuff like that so that was all the comedic influence but really yeah the main influences were all uh mostly all comedy stuff too it's like we get a lot of you know i'm horror, you know things and i love all that stuff and it's really you can obviously kind of see um there's a lot of horror you know influence and stuff in the movie it's in the dna but it wasn't a direct uh influence like to me it's a, it's just a comedy through and through and that's what we were trying to trying to make
2: mm-hmm. so uh, your writing partner who also stars the movie uh, uh peter litvin uh, how long did you guys know each other? How did you guys get together?
5: Yeah, so we're high school friends. We uh, I met him because um, I was a fan of his band back in 10th grade. He was in 11th grade. Um, and so we were just basically, so we were friends back then in high school. And then uh, I moved to New York City right after high school to go to film school. I went to New York Film Academy. That was a one-year thing back in 04, Uh And then I stayed there for um, six or seven years after that. But Pete moved to New York um, a couple years later, and he moved into the same neighborhood where I was living, um, within walking distance. So we started hanging out all the time. And he's a musician first; that's his first uh, art and his first love and everything. And he's a great guitar player and one of the great song songwriters that I know, and one of my favorite songwriters really of all time. So I was always a fan of his, so we started doing music videos together. Um, We did a music video, actually, uh, for the movie The Room um, way back in 2009, um, before a lot of people even really knew about it. And Greg uh, Greg Sestero from the movie actually saw our video way back then, and he became our friend. And so uh, to cut a long story short, you know, the disaster artist and that whole book, like, I was (laughs) – it's weird to say, but I was hanging out with Greg in this Starbucks, and I was um, essentially the one that gave him the idea to write the book. And if you look, my name is in the, oh, wow. of the book. Um It's finished. a whole long story. Tommy actually ended up t- taking one of the video links down, but uh, two versions of the video still are online. There's one video actually where Pete is actually interviewing Greg on the street. But this is again back in like 2009, way before we you know we never thought the room was gonna become right. some, you know phenomenon. It was just this funny thing that we all liked. But um, mm-hmm. so we were doing stuff like that, basically we were just doing interesting projects. you know, Pete did a thing where he dressed up as an alien and he played guitar on the street and I filmed him uh, playing guitar. We, we did pretty well with that and we just we did we did a couple of little things. never really blew up in a major way, but you know we had these little tiny tiny cult successes. but mm-hmm. uh, but Hacked Knife was kind of the first, you know, it was our first movie for both of us, but Pete You know, he didn't dream of becoming a filmmaker. He was just kind of like an all-around artist. You know, he paints, he does crazy street films. You know, he does music, he does everything. So um, he really got into the whole movie thing, and he's also really kind of like organized and does the paperwork and stuff. So he became the producer. And like I said, we just kind of divided jobs uh, very clear cut. Like I... I shot it myself, I was the editor, and I directed it, you know, as an overseer of kind of the whole thing of it. And then Pete did, you know, the score, did all the sound mix, uh, produced it, and was the main character. Um, And we really, you know, I think the soundtrack is absolutely brilliant. It's all all Pete's work, and um, I think he just did such an amazing job to me. It's one of the great uh, movie soundtracks. Like, I love it in the same way that I would love, like, a John Carpenter soundtrack or something like that. Uh Yeah, least. it's great, and, and it was really fun for me because I would get to say like, oh, here, you know, where Porch is dancing, like we should do like surf rock, and then he would just like play guitar and play the drums and whip together a surf rock track and <laughs> sound like it's coming out of a radio. So it was really, really, you know, I, I to me, when you put Hectic Knife sound wise, like if you had a blindfold on and you put it next to any big real Hollywood movie, like the quality, yeah, is different um, because obviously we recorded on little mics and all this stuff. But, um, you know, it's as loud as, it's as dynamic as, and it really, and the dialogue is as clear as, and I'm really proud of that because, you know, you turn, you know, you look through Troma's catalog even, and not to, you know, diss them all because they're great. We have better sounding sound on our little tiny $15,000 because of movies that have $15 million or a lot of other Troma acquisitions and stuff. That's all Pete. It's his artistry, his technical skill, and his musical ear coming to it, because in that way, Hector Knife was kind of like an 82-minute piece of music that he kind of mixed in that sense, you know, with the dialogue obviously being most present and being on top, but you kind of imagine, okay, well, the dialogue is like the singer, and then the background noise is all, you know, the, the instruments, so he had that whole thing that he could bring to it, and it really added a lot uh, for us, because, you know, sound is so much more important anyway. It's like, you know, if you can't hear it, then what are you going to do? You and know, I, I,
2: I think it's uh, the one of the most overlooked things on independent film. When yeah. I watch that uh, stuff, like uh, there'll be a lot of stuff that looks cool visually and even have like neat lighting and stuff, but uh, sometimes i will have really bad sound. And oddly enough, we have a call in line who I think has the show on in the background and is uh, ruining our sound right now. But six four six area code, who is this? Uh, <laughs> Wait, six four six. What, what? What? Yeah, there's a caller on the line. Six four six area code. Oh hello, And then they hang up. <laughs> well, thank you for calling. That's too and funny. and uh, messing up the audio for a little bit and then hanging up with that without a question. Oh, well, but that's all right. But uh, it was very funny to me because it did um, go right along with what you're saying. But I do, I do mean that cause I've watched and I won't say names either. Yeah. Uh, right. You know. and, and like, uh, I think there's a lot of things you can do with a low budget movie to make it look, um, It has more production value, like Mm -hmm. cool things uh, with lighting and camera angles and stuff like that. And then uh, some of that stuff I watch and they totally don't think about the sound. And uh, the levels will be way off. You know, one scene, you know, you'll hear all this terrible background noise and uh, just people talking will be on different levels. And it really takes away from the movie.
5: No, absolutely. And I I, just to give people credit, I mean, really, it's his artistry because that's the difference is like, you know, look. Let's say this is what I always say: is our budget was, let's say it was twenty thousand, and it, it was, you know, it, it. I mean, look, our operating budget at any given time was only like two thousand at the very most ever, but we probably spent, you know, twenty k to get the movie in the can, plus another almost twenty to promote it, and so on. So it's, you know, it's it kind of whatever number you want to put on it, whatever. But let's say around twenty k. Well, we could have spent twenty k just on the sound of the movie. And we wouldn't have gotten near the quality that Pete provided because, first of all, Pete did ADR with the actors for like 80% of the whole movie and he learned how to do ADR on the movie and it took us like three years. But the idea that he, we were doing that and that he did that and that the ADR is not uh, noticeable. Like for example, I, you know, I don't know if you could tell, but the very first uh, actor voice that you hear in the entire movie is ADR. It's not even the same female uh, standing there. And so, um, you know, a lot of characters like that are in, are done that way in the movie. And I just feel like it's not just ADR. It's not just the fact that he did it. It's the fact that when I watch like a, you know, let's say I watch a movie, I could even want to be watching a low budget indie movie on Lifetime Network that was shot for say 10 million. And I can hear the bad ADR because I can hear the sound just being like plopped on top of the environment. And it doesn't sound like they're actually outside. It sounds like they're in a studio and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's a huge, big movie with real actors, right? Hectic Knife doesn't, to me doesn't have that quality. Like Pete was so conscious of making sure it sounds like they're outside. If the sound is outside and sounds like they're inside or sound, you know, there's a, there was always a, texture and artistry that went into it that I don't even think that you could pay for necessarily just meaning that like let's say we had a million dollars to spend on the sound um, I still you, you never know if we would get as good a music as he could create for it um, because it's you know it's his music and it's his artistry but also just the idea of him recording all that ADR and then the way he was able to mix the sound and the thousands and thousands of sound effects and different layers and voices and environments and jokes that were added into the soundtrack that are sort of small in there like radio voices and things like that um, it's just, uh, that was invaluable and it, yeah, it took four or five years, but it was, it added so much production value to it. I just think it elevates it a lot for
2: sure. Yeah. Uh, and how about claymation? I'm always happy when, uh, when I see claymation pop up in a movie well, and there's motion. a little bit of claymation.
5: Stop not mm-hmm. Stop motion. Stop but, motion. All right. But yeah, stop motion. Yeah, that was I did that in my parents' basement. I did that and I did the newspaper montage with a lazy Susan and some prop newspapers all <laughs> in my basement. I just lit it. I did you know, actually those spinning papers are it's actually like real. Like I put it on a lazy Susan, I lit it the right way so it would just looked black in the back and I just spun it around and stopped it. Like it really was just doing that. But um and then some of the other stuff, you know, is the stop motion is already right in my parents' basement. Um but yeah, no, I that stuff was really fun and I, I really wanted to um you know, kind of, it's like, you know, you could basically lose that stuff and it wouldn't notice. It's all just kind of interstitial between scenes and kind of adding to the sort of texture of it and everything like that and sort of the feel. But I thought, yeah, I've, I've kind of wanted to, you know, not only show off that, uh, you know, that stuff a little bit, but also at the same time, you know, just give it a nice kind of flavor. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I appreciate that you notice it stuff like that. You know, I think when people. That people that would appreciate it seem to latch on, and I, I appreciate that because it was fun to do. And it's go, you know, they kind of go by really quickly, but they're all really organic. Like it was all created, uh, really by hand, like by me doing the stop motion. It's you know, so it, it was really fun. Uh, and that's yeah, that's something really fun to do.
2: Yeah, uh, back back to Peter for a minute. Uh, with him playing the the, the main uh, the main character, hectic knife. Yeah, uh, I don't think it, it would be kind of movie you'd butt heads, but was there any butting of heads the way he played it? Or the way you you directed it, or anything like that.
5: No, in fact, we butt heads now just because of all the tension that builds up off camera. I, we, you know, we were going to go ahead and go forth and make Hecto Knife Two two years ago when uh, we were done and it just didn't happen. And I think we kind of, uh, you know, are, you know, if, if we went, let's just say this, if we went to try to go make it now, we'd probably kill each other. So it's not the right time. And there's no necessarily not really a huge demand for it right now. So, you know, let's let it kind of percolate for a while and see, see what happens. But we we do have scripts and ideas for uh, two more movies basically. But um, to answer your question, in that sense on set, no, not at all. In fact, we had a perfect, um, synthesis you know it's i look i'm not comparing like whatsoever because i'm just not but in the i'm not comparing the val- the skill and the quality of the work but like the way that people talk about the coen brothers where they're very synthesized in the sense that you can kind of go up to either one of them and ask them an idea about the piece and they will just trust each other to give the kind of quote unquote right answer because they either already know or just trust the person. It was very much like that. Like, again, I, you know, hike Knife is no raising Arizona by any stretch, but um, obviously just the idea being that like when we were on set uh, you know, Pete, Pete directed just as much as I did on set in the sense that, you know, I was behind the camera and it was, it was sort of a, are we both okay with this? Yeah, of course. You know, we both had full um, autonomy to sort of, pitch in lines that we would just write as we went. We both were doing that. Um, You know, so we were both essentially directing as equally as each other. um, And there was never any real headbutting on that. I, I mean, I think in very small ways, um, that stuff all, first of all, got worked out before we ever got on set, uh, which is good. You know, there were certainly things where it's like, you know, he would pitch an idea, you know, we, originally we were pro- we, we were going to go down the road of having like nudity and stuff like that. And I was basically just against it because I didn't feel like the tone was, right. I didn't want to go in that direction. I didn't feel like the tone was right. And we basically just sort of agreed to not go forward with it. I'm, we're, I don't know how he feels. I'm glad that we didn't but um you know it's just like those were things that got worked out way before we were ever on set and uh so no it was it was really generally fun i mean at least i can't speak for him but i had a lot of fun just in the sense that i got to kind of watch all this craziness and you know pete was he seemed to have fun being playing sort of the straight man in this bizarre universe yet even though he's the straight man he's totally crazy himself and i also um as far as directing him, you know, because, you know, he was certainly direct, the director too, but, like, obviously he's on camera for a lot of it. And so I'm just the only one at, in, this, in that sense directing from outside, looking out, you know, looking in. And, uh, no, he really, um, I, you know, first of all, phys- physical wise, uh, I was really impressed by him. Like, the knife stuff and all that stuff, that was never. Um, practiced or rehearsed and i never had to coach him once like literally any time that i would say you know okay now we're doing the part where you're gonna go crazy with the knives you know that's the part of the you know day schedule whatever you want to call it that we're at he just went into it and it was like a switch and it was just crazy and it was always pretty perfect i mean we would do multiple takes and stuff but like you know his level of comedic like physicality was always like off the charts and he could always just turn it on and off uh, like a switch and that's i mean that i that was impressive to me but then as far as reading the lines i mean you know it was tough but we both always agreed like this is kind of how hectic would talk this is what he would say this is how he wouldn't talk i mean there were times in the raw footage where it's like pete would kind of say something and then just stop himself and be like oh heck doesn't talk like that and it's like oh yeah I, I mean sometimes i might have even not agreed and but i would just let him stop himself and kind of reset so it was just like we both sort of had this veto power but uh during most of that i think yeah we were really in sync as far as like this is the tone this is what it would be this is what it shouldn't be you know and and we definitely both got more comfortable with that as the process went on i think that was also part of the luxury of getting to make it over a five-year period is that by year three um you know we were both really honed in and kind of knew exactly what hectic would say or wouldn't say and what kind of jokes to pitch and it became very much more obvious there was clearly much more of a voice than there was originally. So it, it just made sense. So that's kind of how it went.
2: Yeah. Uh, how about some of the actors, the other actors that, the, that aren't actors, uh, were they just people you guys knew and you wanted to have in the movie? Like, ah, how did they all get involved?
5: Sure. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting mix too, because I like to give the example right off the bat of, uh, you know, Tracy and Wolf who plays uh, porch and JJ uh, Bryan, who plays Piggly doctor. So JJ who plays Piggly doctor had never been on camera before for anything in his life. And then Tracy Ann Wolf is our, is a seasoned you know SAG pro actress, and I always love the fact that I don't know that, that people can tell. Meaning like when they're on camera <laughs> together, I think it's I think it speaks to both their talent. And I and I tell this to both of them off the record. I'm so you know happy and proud I get to do that. But it, it, it's so awesome because Tracy to me I look at her and she's what I would say as a director you know she's always in it like it's so. She's in the pocket all the time and you can see it and she's always giving something and doing something funny with her face or, you know, moving her hands way, doing something that's in character at all times. Now, JJ, not having any pro experience, he was never the guy to be like, you know, landing on his marks and knowing the stuff and having this sort of actor protocol he didn't come at it in that way at all and it was totally the opposite but when they're on screen together i think that tracy was able to play against him and elevate him and he was also naturally good enough to play up to her level and i think that's what's important is because there are other actors in the movie that it's very obvious that they were not pros and that's part of the joke and but i think what's cool is that on this other level with between the two of them you have one that was a pro one that wasn't and you can't tell and i think that speaks to just uh you know what Pete and I were able to do with the character and, and also just with casting, and, and also JJ's just raw talent. Um, so yeah, the, it kind of and the whole cast obviously runs the game. I mean, one funny story is that. We have the scene with the prostitutes where Hector goes to get information from them. So one of them was Pete's uh, ex—I guess now ex-wife. I don't even know if maybe they're remarried. For all I know, but Pete's ex-wife, and then and that was the Colombian one that spoke uh, in Spanish or Colombian or whatever. And then the uh, main one, Farsi, is just this brilliant actress that we found right on Craigslist, and that was it. And she just was awesome, and that's that's how we found her. And then uh, the one other girl. Um, I think the one that says uh, "Look at me, I'm a hooker" or something. We, Pete literally ran to Burger King down the street and found her just her in line and said, "Hey, do you want to be in the movie? We'll pay you a hundred dollars." And that was it. She was in the movie and she was really good, and then we never heard from her again. And you know that she signed the release, and there you go. So it's just like it runs the whole gamut of everything like they're all over the place and there's some people that had been in a lot of stuff you know it's like link um who was the, who played by this irish guy named john Mundley. he's just a friend of ours he was a client of pete's musically that's how they met it's also how pete met jj it was a musical client of his um and so that song at the end that JJ or that i'm sorry that john Munley sings as uh link that's you know that's a song that he wrote you know pete and i went in and kind of redid the lyrics to kind of fit the movie and make it more jokey and stuff but he wrote that song and he and pete put that together so that's kind of where it comes from um it's really all over the place you know Uh, the, the woman who plays Franny Glooper, uh, she's Australian. She was doing an American accent as her regular character, but she, you know, does all those accents and she's actually Australian, but she's, you know, a seasoned actress too. She was in Mamma Mia touring group and a bunch of other movies and all kinds of stuff. So it's really all over the place. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun too because some of it is just like friends and family, and then other people were Craigslist. But it was never beyond Craigslist. Like we never actually got like a real actor. I mean, I, my, that's not what I mean. Hold on, let me backtrack. We, they're real actors. What I mean is we sure, never went sure. into like you know SAG and you know paid nine hundred dollars a day. But I am proud to say we not only do we pay all of our actors um, the minimum that they got for a half day work was a hundred dollars, so that's pretty good. I mean, for a really? tiny micro budget indie uh they they all got on imdb they all get a copy of their you know the movie and they got paid that day so i mean i hope they're happy they seem like they are but uh no i think i was always proud of our cast and i could I, you know sometimes in reviews the cast kind of gets hit hard because people are like well they're you know non-actors and they all suck and they weren't trying and like i say what you will but they were definitely trying they really you know we, we weren't we, as much as we were just goofing around having fun we were also you know working and trying to make this thing and so everybody that showed up you know whether they were a real actor or not or just a friend or whatever they put in the work and you know gave, gave it whatever they had and so they did you know they did a good job i'm proud i'm proud of them
2: yeah uh did you keep any of the, the stuff from the movie like uh the bills or uh uh just some of the props
5: i i love that stuff by the way i have some of that stuff yeah I, I have a box of stuff pete has a box of stuff i mean obviously you know pete has as many of the costumes as we could sell but, and still so has the hectic costume and then i have um i have the i have like the ball the kids are playing with i have some other stuff i have to think off the top of my head but yeah i have i have we definitely both have some of that stuff for sure
2: yeah and uh, i had to ask you about uh tr- you're uh, working with trauma and and lloyd i know they distributed the film and then in- you know actually uh make it or anything but uh throughout the years i've talked to many people who have had movies through trauma and uh, it's usually one or two camps people that uh, love their experience or people that really have nothing uh, positive to say uh where would you fall how is your experience with trauma
5: uh i'm fully on the positive side and i can speak to the rest and i also would say that like i'm on the positive side but like at the same time as the positive side, to be totally frank, it's like, well, I'm someone not I'm not I don't want to say I'm in the middle at all, but I know've i know I've been kind of long-winded. but to answer your question, so, like you look, trauma has a certain reputation, and there's certain people that unfortunately, Will like not even watch our movie at all because it's on trauma. Like we go to conventions sometimes, and I have I have a this awesome assistant that works with me named Edison Binek, and he does these really cool things called movies to watch on a rainy afternoon. He did one episode where he reviews Hectic Knife. He just did his hundredth episode, a so little shout out to him. And but um, so he goes to these conventions. We've got Hectic Knife merch and stuff, and he's selling it and trying to sell it. And we do fine, but some people are like, "Oh, trauma." I'm not even gonna. I won't even like look at this. Like, fuck them, and they're really upset about it. Mm-hmm. And my thing is this: look, I mean, first of all, they're the longest running, you know, independent film studio. It's it's going on in 45 years, and they're definitely going to get to 50. I mean, they're not closing their doors, and that's pretty remarkable. First of all, and that speaks to a couple things. I mean, to stay in business that long, you have to kind of be both positive and negative you have to be a little bit cutthroat and a little bit businesslike, but you also have to sort of be continually you know trying to put out good stuff and supporting artists and so it goes both ways and i'll say this my relationship with them is nothing but positive and i absolutely loved uh, lloyd I, you know I've been yelled at by Michael hers but who hasn't that's basically a rite of passage and he's kind of just crazy and that's what it is and um, you know with everything else I've had a great experience uh, this is what I'll say the people that tend to have the negative experience mm-hmm. seems to me and I can't speak for all of them but it seems to me that they basically sign with trauma thinking that they're just gonna be like stars overnight uh, or yeah. make money and that is an insane delusion and look here's the thing I, when I started making an knife, Trauma was the bar, and I meaning like if I could just make a movie that was you know quote unquote good enough to get distribution by Trauma, then I then I felt like I'd be doing okay. Then I, it's a success, and that's where we were at. Now Pete was a lifelong Trauma fan from his childhood, and I was not. I had, I've still never seen an entire Trauma movie uh, from start to finish in my entire life, except for Cannibal the Musical, which you can argue whether or not that kind of you know counts or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Lloyd movie. It's kind of you know. kind of kind of like
2: your movie. It's
5: distributed right. by. So so here's the thing. So I was a huge you know, South Park fan. I, got, I saw Cannibal Musical. I was hugely inspired. So in, I went and read Lloyd's book, Make Your Own Damn Movie. And from listening to the commentary of Cannibal, from you know, uh, just knowing people that had worked with Troma as an intern or whatever else, and just sort of from learning and just reading and learning and watching and stuff, you basically learn that, like, yeah, you sign with Troma. You're not going to make a bunch of money. But they're a company that has that truly does have brand recognition. They have tens of thousands of fans around the world and they can get you access to certain things that you probably wouldn't be able to get access to without them, or at least quicker. And that's exactly what happened. And so it's unfortunate that for some small people there's, you know, this bad rep where they won't even like look at the thing. But to that I say, okay, whatever. It's their loss and and whatever. My thing with Hector Knife is that I didn't take it to festivals, and I have no idea whether or not it would play at you know mid-level size festivals. I'm obviously not at like Sundance or some con or whatever, but maybe it would have done okay at like ten or twelve you know mid-level size festivals, and then I could have maybe gotten it in advance from trauma of, of like five k or, or you know sold it somewhere else. Maybe that could have happened. I really don't know, but I know that I get my first contact that I made right when we were done with Hack Knife in 2015. I emailed a couple friends and I said, hey, do you have Lloyd Coffin's email address? Because I, I just finished this thing and I want to send it to him. And I heard back from friends like right away. I got his email address from like three or four different people just because when you live in New York City, you just start knowing people that know Lloyd and know <laughs> right. what
1: uh-huh. it's a small
5: town, right? in a way. You know what I mean? So I emailed Lloyd. I said, hey, I read your book. I made my own damn movie. It's got blood babes and bagels. Can I send you a screener? He responded back in less than a half hour and said, "Sounds like the story of my life. Send it over." I sent over the screener, and within a week, an intern at Troma sent us over a contract that just was like, "We want your movie." There was no money. There were not, they're not. They weren't. They didn't give us an advance. They didn't do anything like that. But they. Are you know putting up the cost? They put it out on Blu-ray. They put it on Troma Now, their streaming service. They put it on Amazon Prime. So they're you know they're getting it out there. They're the ones you know that Blu-ray is you know it's sold on their store. It's, they're sold at their convention the, where they do you know their their conventions and their booths and stuff at those places. It's sold uh, you know and on online places like Family Video and Best Buy and stuff like that. Those are markets I would never be able to get into just like on my own and uh and and there you know there's no ceiling to it like it can still grow like this movie's been out now for two years going on two and a half and i'm talking to you guys now we're still getting new reviews you know the blu-ray just came out it's like an indie movie of this size doesn't have any sort of thing where it like came out and then it's done it's not like a big hollywood thing so trauma is supportive you know they let up they let us do things like make a thousand copies of a dvd and give a bunch of them away as uh Promotional items, or sell them and make them make some money back. Like they let us do stuff like that on their own. They're they, they're smart enough to kind of realize that you know I am in this to you know for the long haul I want to keep making movies this is my life and I they give me enough of a leash to kind of promote it on my own and you know I'm I'm self-releasing a, uh, a VHS tape of Hector Knife it's just a hundred copies there's going to be special features on there that are you know only available on the tape you know the artwork has the Tromo logo on it and I can sell a hundred of those it's just like that's things where you know they don't they're not like hounding me for a check for 25 bucks per whatever you know it's just a thing where I can do stuff like that and they understand that it's just helps them and it helps me so why not do it and so i have a great relationship with them i think lloyd is a talented director um he's i think he's endlessly fascinating to talk to as far as his history in movies i mean he worked on fucking rocky worked on uh you know he worked on my dinner with andre has has this really interesting history and um you know it's just uh i think again it, it goes into this thing where you know Uh, you know, people come to me now and they'll email me and say like, oh my God, how did you get on Trauma? How did you do this? And I say, you know, look, it's not, you know, if you just go on their website, they say right on their website, like, please send us submissions. We want, we're always looking for films to release. So it's just like, I didn't do anything special. I mean, I can always give someone Lloyd's, you know, email or whatever, if they're desperately want to contact him for some reason, because they made a movie, but it just stops there. It's just like, you know, you can, this is, these are people that are very accessible that you can get a hold of, that you can make something and they will look at it and they will, uh, you know, they'll watch it and they'll decide if they want to put it out. So it's just like, It's been a dream for me, and I think, yeah, certainly in their history, you know, has every deal that they've ever made been like pitch perfect? I mean, I don't really know. First of all, I can't even speak to it. I doubt it would be because why would it be? But it's just like that's what happens when you work in a cutthroat, crazy industry for 45 years and release, you know, dozens and hundreds and thousands and stuff of movies. So I'm nothing but happy with them. I mean, if someone has some true real sob story where they really feel fucked over by them somehow i can't like negate it or say they're wrong but at the same time i do think that most of those people that are like negative about it they just have a thing where oh yeah you know i spent three years making my movie and it cost me 10 grand of my own money and then i gave it to them and they never gave me any money back and it's like yeah okay well (laughs) they never said they were going to and you know they probably didn't make that much money off it i'm sure they didn't you know it's like it's not really how it works so it's just like. You know, you always have to advocate for yourself. You always have to sort of be your own publicist and be your own person. You know, as, as awesome as trauma is, it's like, look. I'm the one that put this review together with you guys at our interview. And I'm not ashamed to say that. And I'm not ashamed to say that as a filmmaker, I wrote my own press release and I'm the one tracking down my own reviews and trauma, you know, they brought in a couple of reviews for Hacking Knife, and they've obviously brought in uh, fans because people f- obviously find it because of trauma, but I'm the one that's really pounding the pavement. And it's like, look, I'm look as, as the distributor. Yeah. They're kind of like quote unquote supposed to be doing that for me. But like, First of all, if it's my movie and I put my heart and soul into it, like and I was willing to spend 20,000 of my own money on it, why would I not also spend 10 grand and another 5 years to promote it? Like what would be the point of even making it if I wasn't mm-hmm. going to put that same energy in? You kind of have to think that way when you're on this indie level. And then also you know and in, in many ways trauma did a lot they like i said they they didn't have to release it on blu-ray on their own they did that it's loaded with features it's got new you know cool artwork they put that all together at their own cost they they're the ones that got it on amazon prime they got it on rotten tomatoes they got it on you know they got five or 10 reviews for it so it's just like those are things that are a huge help but at the same time like i said you just have to you know you can't Depend on other things like that because trauma has you know new movies coming out on Blu-ray every month. And they have new acquisitions and they have new movies that they're trying to make and they have other things. So it's just like it's not really on them to always be the giant champion of their thing. And and also too, if they acquire something that's just not going to sell, then they don't really have any impetus to want to um, you know promote it too much. And I think a lot of filmmakers, I can see them being really bitter about that. But it's just like at the end of the day, if your movie kind of like looks and sounds like garbage and can't really sell, then, you know, you were lucky to get on Troma at all and leave it at that. You know, if you're on Troma now and you're not making any money, but you made something that is just like you made for five bucks and it's nothing, then don't be bitter about it and mad that you're not like a star. You know, just uh, be happy that your thing is being seen by more people, because isn't that what it's all about anyway?
2: Mm -hmm. It was uh, I'm glad you said a lot of that, because uh, I've said similar things on the show. Ah, uh, just from talking to different people, I think it a lot of it depends what you think you're going to get out of working with trauma. If right. you think it's, uh, you know, it's going to help you uh, to get you get an initial um, audience just because you're in trauma, right? Or um, I know um, I had Liam Regan on the show, who 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 oh, yeah, uh, who's yeah. a great guy, and uh, he worked on a movie for nothing, but he said to him it was uh, about the experience and also. He said it was like his film school. He just watched uh, exactly. he watched Lloyd making the movie, and he said it was cheaper than going to film school. And he got something out of it. And then I've had other people on, like the guys who made The Void, who uh, who uh, Astron Six guys, who you know weren't happy. And uh, I think a lot of it, like you said, it's people who think uh, they're going to become a millionaire or this giant star out of it. And if you go in thinking that, I think you're probably going to be you know disappointed. But if you go in with different expectations, I think uh, you won't
5: be. Exactly, man. Exactly
2: uh my brother apologized for having uh some issues he lost power at his house so he cannot get back on for uh that's well
5: cool.
2: but uh but he apologizes so one yes. let we'll let everyone know that <laughs> so actually how i came ab- about your movie was when i was watching the uh the trailer for uh b movie Two. oh nice Nick, and, uh, yeah yeah so i'm looking forward to that to begin with but how did you get involved in that documentary
5: uh, Nick is just a fan of Hector Knife. He's a huge trauma fan. He saw Hector Knife and he just liked it and wanted to include me. I'm honored because to me, for me, you know, I'm in, I, you know, I get to be in a movie where everybody else in it is a is, you know, way more established and popular than I ever could be. So it's cool for me because I'm just kind of, you know, I'm they're, when they're interviewing me, they're slumming it with me. But everybody else is like this cool, you know, Joe Bob Briggs and Lynn Lowry and Lloyd and all these people. So I'm honored to be included. And, and if you look at the IMDb for it, uh, it's like I'm the only one in the whole cast that doesn't have a headshot yet because I'm just, you know, not like the <laughs> thing enough. But uh, no it's cool, man. I'm so honored. I mean, Nick has just been so awesome. Like he's really cool. He's really uh, like just like i you know he's awesome he's just like a fan and a cheerleader and a supporter and uh just a nice guy like i'm so happy to have met him and it's it's dude for me you know I'm like a, i'm a little bit of a scorsese fan of course like who isn't and so to be in a thing with like joe bob briggs the guy that to me as a young child was the guy in casino that gets fired um <laughs> right. awesome i'm so happy about that so it's so cool i'm really excited
2: yeah uh do you know when that
5: comes out i do not i do not all
2: right soon but yeah i'm i'm I, I didn't i haven't seen the first one either i have to go back and watch uh, the first b movie yeah but, on uh, what's on youtube
5: yep
2: very cool yeah and it's, i know a lot of people in it now
5: i know you so it's uh <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's really cool too and i will definitely thank nick because you know obviously um you know it's getting the word out for sure which is so cool
2: yeah yeah so yeah like honestly i uh, i uh, watch that and uh you uh you were honestly the only person I didn't know in the in the trailer. <laughs> right. That's and, uh, good. I but yeah, me. that it made me go and seek it out and look it up, and then I watched the trailer. And I was like, "Oh, this looks great!" and watch the movie, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. But so, so yeah, so that's work. That that's work helping getting uh, the the movie out
5: yeah no exactly well hey man if i mean year one so if that's uh if his thing gets seen a uh, hundred million billion times over then there you go man I'll, <laughs> I'll take in whatever percentage i can no that's so cool though i mean honestly i'm really proud to you know be able to be in it and uh it's i can't wait to see it and yeah it's just it's really cool that you know that that's how we were able to connect that's so awesome
2: yeah and uh the guy does our reviews on the website jason uh both of, we were watching the movie together i mean we're in different areas, but we were talking to each other on, on Facebook while we were watching it and we were throwing back lines back and forth because we both uh, loved the, the dialogue and uh, Hectic Knife. So. Just, Thank you, man. Are there any lines that you get people uh, coming to you with the most? Like, hey, this is my favorite line
5: uh yeah well or the orange pill stuff the names you know a lot of things from the bagels the fuck you thing um you know the a lot of people seem to like the um when he's in the with his dad and he says something to go let the bitch fill the cup uh, really? we're really trying to honestly we're trying to come up with like what are the right maybe two lines to have on like a t-shirt and we're thinking of something about bagels or orange pills but we actually do yeah i mean there's certain things where i'll get like someone will tell me you know like i can't think about something of my head i feel bad but every you know it's like They'll say something like, "Oh, you know, every time me and my friends do this, we'll say this, or every time I take a pill, I think of you know orange pills or something like that." I'm always super, you know, honored by that. That's like I'm, that's just amazing. But yeah, it's it's funny.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know something like merchandise at uh, conventions and stuff. What kind of stuff is there out for hectic knife?
5: Yeah, so we have a hot sauce, but it's very limited edition. There's not many that are made. I'm not sure how many are left, but actually, the guy Link, who plays Link in Hackathon, he makes the hot sauce so there's that but we also and i'm actually we're actually kind of running low on almost everything we have to kind of re up and reorder but uh we do have t-shirts um then so there's a limited edition vhs that's coming out soon it's not totally ready yet but we you know i have the artwork together and i just kind of have to get some last couple things together on it but it's almost ready then we have a couple of our you know we have some dvds left so there's a couple hundred uh, dvds left for sale that's a limited edition thing we have about 100 of those that are signed Um, And we have mini posters. um, But again, I have to kind of reorder some of this stuff. But um, we will have most stuff in time because, like, if if anyone's listening, that goes uh, there's Horror Hound in Cincinnati, where my assistant Addison Benek and also the trauma booth will be there and they'll have stuff. And then um, at Cinema Wasteland, which is twice a year in, I think, like Cleveland or somewhere in Ohio. And we're there twice a year with that. Um, And so we, yeah, we have shirts. We have, you know, sometimes we have miscellaneous stuff like pens or mouse pads or whatever. I mean, I'm looking at trying to get like, you know, things like lighters and uh little toy knives, stuff like that. But we just don't I mean we don't have any right now. But like I said, we have to re-up. But um you know we have this limited edition VHS. So those are signed by me. They're 25 bucks a piece. Each one has like I said special features after the movie that are only on the tape. Plus um each individual tape is like has hand drawn artwork on it by me. So I did the label on the top of the tape by by myself. And then the, um, you know, they all come in a nice clamshell plastic case, and then there's original artwork for it on the top. So there's only a hundred of those. Those are pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah, we have, like I said, signed DVDs. So we have some random stuff. It's not like a ton of stuff. We're looking mm-hmm. to, get, you know, it's a possibility down the road that we might do things like action figures and, um, you know, a off like mini comic strip or comic book kind of thing or things like that so uh we're definitely you know there's definitely always or or trading cards perhaps things like that we're kind of trying to see what's you know what are the hot things that people are like and still collecting and kind of what's the most economical to do and just things like that so we're still trying to kind of like figure out um you know what what to get but yeah we always have cool merch stuff and uh you know if anyone has ideas like if anyone you know really wants a thing or whatever let us know because uh you know we always need that feedback
2: yeah, definitely. So, what what kind of movies did you grow up watching that like made you want to make movies?
5: Uh, I'm a Spielberg kid. I mean, I saw Jurassic Park in the theater when I was six. That's how old I was when it came out, and I was just endlessly fascinated with the movie and with Spielberg. I was blown away. You know, I'm totally bitten by the movie bug. And um, from there, you know, the behind the scenes for Jurassic Park came out on TV like right away, and it was this big hour long thing hosted by James Earl Jones. But they had all this behind-the-scenes footage of uh, Spielberg directing, and I was only like six or seven. But I and I had didn't know exactly what he was doing, but I was so fascinated. It looked like the most fun thing ever. It's like here's this adult, and he's clearly like has a bunch of money and is like getting paid to like make this thing like what i mean he made dress but whatever that meant it was like amazing to me so i stuck with that obsession and in my early teen years i got really obsessively into um 70s and 90s american uh, movies so um you know obviously the whole line of like scorsese and uh and then like the you know the 70s crew of you know the lucas and spielberg and de palma and them but then also uh that line to sort of that nyu crowd in the 80s and 90s we're talking like jim jarmusch and Tom DeSillo and Spike Lee and Ernest Dickerson and those guys, so I was really into that whole thing. Um, and uh, but my ma- my favorite directors and my favorite movies of all time are um, like, so my favorite movies of all time are Signs, American Movie, Back to the Future, um, Indiana Jones, uh, Forrest Gump, uh, The Paradise Lost uh, Trilogy mm. of documentaries, um, you know uh, stuff like that. So the movies like that, a big The Burbs, So movies like that, a big. Uh, the burbs, um, so Uh, I'm a big fan of Robert Zemeckis, uh, Penny Marshall, Amy Heckerling, Spike Lee, Scorsese, Spielberg, the Coen Brothers, Raising Arizona is one of my top three favorite movies of all time. Um, My favorite movie of all time basically is Signs. My other one is American Movie, the documentary. Um,
2: Fantastic.
5: I love comedies. comedies. Those are kind of my two big genres. Uh, But I'm a Spielberg kid at heart, and I kind of dreamed as a kid, uh, starting at around six, of kind of like – You know, making whatever you want to call the next big like Back to the Future style trilogy where you have like, you know, your main characters and your big three movies and all this stuff. Um, You know, I still have I still hold on to that dream. Um, And I'm 31 now. So i kind of like, you know, it was done when I was 29. It's my first movie. I'm kind of working on new stuff now. But I'm just, uh, you know, I'm still kind of following that. But I'm living in Detroit. You know, I, I think I'll definitely be here for the next um 10 years you know i'll be here forever but i just mean like you know my ability to kind of go out to la and make projects and do the whole hollywood thing is still kind of far away but i feel like um i'm priming myself to kind of make my second movie over the next five or ten years and um you know sort of still chasing that but uh i'm you know i'm, I'm basically a spielberg kid um you know Jurassic Park, kid back to the future star wars that kind of stuff you know the mm-hmm. robert zemeckis he's probably my favorite director
2: yeah I'm, uh, I'm glad that you, uh, you mentioned Mark Borshaw, uh, his, yeah. uh, American movie I love. And way back, uh, I think it was like the second year we were doing the show, 2007, mm-hmm. I got more, I, I found Mark's number and I called him up. I actually think I found him on MySpace, oh, and nice. I, and so I called him up, got him on the show, the weirdest interview to, to the date I've ever, I've ever done. So he was very cool to talk to, uh, you know, going up to the interview. So we called him up and it was like five minutes. Not I even mean, five minutes, like a minute before I go live. And he's like, I uh, just, by the way, I don't want to talk about American movie. No, please. I don't <laughs> talk about American
5: movie all day, man. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, what, that's, that's what Mark said. Yeah.
2: That's funny, and dude, so, I'm, so all my questions were about, you know, man, America. yeah. America. So, so we go live and something, you know, well, I don't know what the hell ask. So we're just to talk about whatever. And to, to make him a stranger, he was at, he's like, you guys, you know, I'm, a house, I'm coming to a house party. I'm like, uh, I don't know. And so you know, he's in like a house and there's music playing. And he just starts giving his phone to like random people that he knows. And and so we're talking to random people that know Mark. And some of them are asking us questions. It was just, it was so bizarre. It's probably very
5: fun to listen to, but I no, that's
2: that's just think it mean, I definitely <laughs> want to listen to
5: that. It's amazing. <laughs> And yeah. and also shamelessly plug uh, one of my next things. So I have two short documentaries coming out this year. One of them I'm finishing up now, and then the second one actually has Mike Shank and Ken Keen in it. I was able to film both of them. Uh, it's just a short under 10 minute documentary, but I got Mike Shank, uh, reading out of his dream journal and, uh, it's good, man. It's, it's like classic, you know, Mike Shank style interview footage and Kenny Keene, you know, for, if anyone really knows American movie, then it's got the, you know, it's got the classic Kenny Keen like laugh after he talks and all that uh-huh. stuff. I'm yeah. really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, please uh, send a link. I want to hear that.
2: I will definitely send the link. Yeah. Just, it was, was just very bizarre, but I'm so glad I did it because, uh. I myself love that movie. It's one of my favorite documentaries. Uh, have you done any documentaries?
5: Yes, I have. I, um, when I was 23, I made my first feature doc. Uh, it's called Canada's Best Kept Secret. And it's about a, um, this author naturalist that lived up in uh, Ontario uh, for most of his life and was a rescuer of animals. And, uh, you know, and it was an author wrote 30 books, about, uh, mostly about wolves, but about all kinds of animals and uh, environmental issues and stuff like that. He died in 2003, I believe and uh i think it's about i think it's 60 to 70 minutes long somewhere in there um you know i I have i you know i never really found distribution for it it's on amazon prime um if you search my name or just search for the title you'll find it and then um one of my favorite projects i've ever done in my life was i edited a documentary for legendary documentary filmmaker jeff krulich who um if anyone has ever heard of or seen um heavy metal parking lot back from 1986 um he made that and he's gone on to make uh, dozens of other documentaries uh including this really interesting thing with ernest borgnine and um where he worked for er- errol morris on um, a bunch of bigger stuff like fog of war so he's had a really interesting career so i i, I edited a feature doc for him uh, also when i was 23 uh back in 2010 called uh heavy metal picnic i think that's 65 minutes long or 70 that was really fun um and that's a great piece uh the the trailers out there i'm not really sure where you can see it you'd have to kind of Go to Jeff's website. Um, I'm not really sure where it's available, but uh, so there's that. And then I'm um, also cutting a feature documentary right now about Musak for uh, this other le- legendary music video director who was um, the director of uh, Devo's "Whip It" and all their early stuff. Plus. Um, stuff by the group madness and just a bunch of stuff from the eighties and really made a living uh, doing that. So I'm cutting that. And then um, I right now have two short documentaries in the works that I'm finishing up uh, both uh, right around 10 minutes. Um, One is about equals MC squared, the equation. Another one is uh, about uh, dreams that people have when they are asleep. And then, so that's what those two are. And then I'm also working on a giant long epic 2.5 hour long uh, documentary about music that I started way back when I was 19. And that has um, over 100 interviews, uh, over 100, uh, you know, uh, original performances from all kinds of different artists. Um, I filmed um, everybody from uh, Daniel Johnston, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, DJ Spooky, Sugarhill Gang. Uh, uh, Danny Warhols, Eric Mongrain, uh, just, uh, tons of people like, uh, you know, t- just tons of people. So that's, um, in the works now. And, um, that's kind of my next big thing I'm working on. And then after that, I'll do my next movie, but yeah, I'm d- documentary is like, I'm really, uh, passionate about it, really into him. I'm kind of a documentary junkie myself and have been for way a long time. So, Very uh, cool. so, yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, do you know, know, do you know Paul MacLarnie at all? Who's also in uh, the movie part two? Seems, I don't, uh, from Ungovernable films.
5: No, I haven't heard that name. Sorry.
2: All right. Well he's uh he's in the in the documentary you're in. So oh, but okay. anyway, I am doing a doc I'm doing a documentary with him about his uh, upcoming movie uh in Boston. So oh, I'm, awesome. uh, I'm looking forward to uh doing that.
5: Yeah very cool man. Yeah, yeah good luck. Did you start shooting it or you about uh, to-
2: Yeah we filmed some some stuff. Well, how we did it was uh the idea behind is not really the making of a movie. It's more uh what people on the independent level, uh, sacrificing and, and whatnot to, uh, to make movies on an independent level. And right. so I spent, I spent a day with, uh, different people involved in the movie, uh, and talk to their families and, and different things. And, uh, they're going to start filming soon. So, uh, so I did all that stuff last year. Then this year, we'll probably do some more stuff. It'll oh, probably won't be out till next year at the, at the earliest. That's so cool, man. Yeah. I, it's been, it's been a very cool experience. Yeah. Yeah.
5: So uh, actually, how can uh, people follow Hectic Knife and yourself online? Oh man, so yeah, I'm on I'm on the Hector Knife Twitter pretty much all the time. We're just about to reach uh, 1,500 followers here, so we're happy to always uh, take on new followers and follow some people and stuff. And I'm I'm on there all the time. I don't tweet out as much as I'd like to uh, these days, but i have just been busy. But you know, I'm, I'm always on there posting jokes and stills from the movie and stuff like that. And then um, we're also active on Facebook. Um, you, can, you know, we have our website, of course. Uh, you know, the the company for the you know the, that basically made the movie, Monrovia Pictures. That's my little company. We, you know, we have our website. You can always contact me. You can find me on Facebook as well. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm all over. I'm really accessible.
2: Yeah. Very cool. And uh, how, and the movie itself, uh, Hectic Knife, is on uh, Amazon Prime. And yeah. Uh, and if they want the the limited edition VHS, tape, how do, how do they get that?
5: Uh, for now, contact me directly and put in a pre order. We already literally have about twenty five pre orders. So they're, I'm hoping and I think that they're actually going to go pretty fast. I mean, we're going to obviously give kind of not give any away but we're going to sell some set aside for like conventions and stuff so people can Mm -hmm. get them in person but uh yeah you can basically just literally contact me i mean the just to go through really quick i mean we're on amazon prime that's what everyone knows and you know i think what people don't know too is like if you know if you don't have amazon prime you can always rent it streaming on amazon Mm -hmm. so there's that capability too uh i mean it costs like three bucks or whatever but you just you know there you go um so it's on there and then it's also on trauma hey man this is
3: mark warcharp And if you know what's right, if you know what's good, if you know what's best for you,
5: listen to WithoutYourHead.com.
2: All right, and we're back here. Sorry for uh, technical problems, but we're back.
5: Cool. No, no problem at all. Um, yeah, so no, I'm just to go back. So Hague Life is available on you know, Troma Now. It's their streaming service uh, monthly. just $5 subscription. You get access to tons of cool stuff. We're on Amazon Prime. We're also on Blu-ray. Um, you can get the Blu-ray, obviously, through Amazon. You can get it through Troma Direct. You can get it at a convention if you go to the Troma booth. Uh, you can also get it online at like FYE or Target or Best Buy or um, Family Video, places like that. And then um, if you want a copy of – if you want to sign a copy of the VHS or of the DVD, of which there are only 100 VHS tapes left and probably a, only about two or 300 DVDs left, uh, just contact me directly and I'll either just, you know, I'll set it up. I'll send you one, whatever you want. So they're not that expensive. So, um, yeah, that's how you can see it. Cool. Well, I appreciate coming on tonight. It's been a lot of fun talking
2: to you. And I love the movie.
5: Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate it. I'll be on any you want. It's my pleasure.
2: All right. Very cool. Yeah, we would love, love to be back on. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
5: All right. Thank All right. you. Yep. Bye. Bye. Uh, are you still here? I'm still here, yes.
2: From
4: ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the Tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened!
1: The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming night! Mostly! They're coming night! Mostly! They're coming night! Mostly! They're coming night!
4: Mostly! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and
1: Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming
2: night! All right, and welcome back to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still nasty, Neil. And a big thanks to the guest tonight and uh, Troy, who uh, hopefully uh, will be back next week here. I'm sure he will be. He just lost some power. We had uh, bad weather here this week in, uh, in uh, all of New England, the Northeast, Pennsylvania, and New York. So hopefully things are back to normal soon here. I went three days without power. And that really blows. It really sucks. It's not a good time. Uh, big thanks to Raina Swart uh, from The Lullaby, uh, lovely guest here on the show. Uh, Greg Deliso from Hectic Knife, it was a lot of fun talking to him. A uh, really good time here on the sh- on the uh, on without your head. And by the way, um, you know we're live every Thursday night, and we've guests. You could call in. Uh, we review stuff. You know all this stuff going on. But uh, sometimes shows will just pop up over on Without Your Head, so you have to subscribe to the iTunes. And subscribe in Google Play And uh, just go to the website uh, Like uh, last week We had Vladimir John Kubert And Kristen West in the live show uh, But then following that over, over the weekend Was Chaotic Good Episode 9 our, our favorite nerd Cast here on the Without Your Head family And then Maurice Hames, director of Chimera It was a really a Interesting conversation I hope people uh, checked it out Different side of the show and so uh this is the beginning of uh of the lineup here for the weekend. So however you're listening live right now, every night this week, 9 p.m. Eastern, starting tonight with the live show, uh tune in to uh, without your head on, on the tune in channel or however you listen live. Tune in's a great uh free app for your mobile uh apps, for your for your mobile phone, whatever you use, and also uh, your mobile device and also for laptop computers or or uh PCs. Whatever you got, you can listen through Tune In, is, is the point. So, uh, tonight we kicked off the show with the Live Without Your Head. Uh, Friday night, uh, Chaotic Good returns. Uh, they're going to be talking about uh, Planet Con, upcoming guests, and a bunch of news from the Kender home. So, uh, check that out if you're into comic books and role playing games. And uh, if you're just into good times, check that out with me Friday night. Uh, Saturday night, uh, our music show is on hiatus, but it will return. Uh, so this, uh, Saturday night, it's going to be nasty Neil myself, uh, as I begin the countdown to the Boston underground film festival, which I'll be attending, uh, all weekend coming up, uh, March 24th weekend. And so, uh, to kick off the countdown, we're going to have, uh, uh, the, the, um, the director, uh, of programming Kevin Monahan on the show. So if you're in the uh, Boston area, or if you can make it to Boston, uh, the Boston underground film fest. It's a great time. Uh, the Void premiere there last year. Um, it's just a, it's a, you know, you're gonna see a bunch of, uh, you know, weird underground stuff. Uh, they have shorts, they have features, they have documentaries. Saturday morning, there's a uh, all you can eat cereal uh, buffet. Well, not buffet, but all you can eat cereal. Why you watch Saturday morning cartoons? How cool is that? So uh, definitely, uh, if you can make it, uh, even if you're in New York or P- Pennsylvania, wherever, if you're uh, if you can uh, make the trek out to the Boston Underground Film Festival, I highly recommend it. And I'll be there all the weekend uh, getting some video coverage of the event, um, doing some interviews with people. And right here on the program, we're going to be interviewing uh, a lot of, uh, of the creators of the films, of the films that will be uh, premiering at Underground Film Festival. So we we'll to kick that off uh, Saturday with uh, the director of programming. Uh, also coming up on the show, uh, concerning Boston underground film festival, we're going to have the cast and the crew from BFF girls. So check out without your head.com and also check out facebook.com slash group slash without your head horror to, uh, for all the details there. Uh, we're going to, one week we're going to have, uh, we're going to have the crew. We're going to have the crew. We're going to have uh, the director, writer, uh, producer, including, uh, Jill six who has been on the show before. And, uh, the following week, we're going to have this crazy show. It's going to be nine guests. It's going to be the whole cast of the movie, including the return of Lawrence R. Harvey and, uh, Michael St. Michael's from uh, the greasy strangler. But, uh, we're going to have the whole cast on, not just those two. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's a, that's a short that's premiering at the Boston underground film festival. So again, that's going to kick kick off here Saturday and then Sunday. All right. Sunday, you're sitting back your leisure. You got your family around. What would be a nice thing to do in the without your headland? Uh, Nah, Sunday, the day of rest. I know, listen to an interview with, uh, with one of the stars of last house on the left, a good family, uh, good family fun. So Mark Scheffler will be on the program one-on-one with nasty deal. And that'll be Sunday night. And we're going to talk about last house on the left. All time classic Wes Craven film. Um, You will also be able to see Mark at um, the upcoming Texas Frightmare weekend. He's going to be with the Arrow people. Uh, Arrow videos putting out a Blu-ray of of the movie with tons of specials, behind the scenes footage no one's ever seen before. It's a it's a you know a huge thing. So we're uh, really looking for that Sunday night. Mark Sheffler. We're going to talk all about Last the Left, uh, making the movie, what it meant to him after the movie, and uh, what he's up to now. So um, check it out. So every night here, same headless channel, same headless time, same headless tune in. Uh, Nine PM Eastern rolls around. You got that? What else you got going on? Nothing. Or even if you do have something cool, you're like, well, hold on, we got to we got to stop this. We got to take a hiatus to listen to without your head. That's right. So if you're in the middle of uh, whatever, in the middle of some hanky panky with the wife or the significant other, you're like, all right. We've had enough for now. Let's pause this, and we're gonna listen to "Without Your Head." We'll get back to it. Let's say we're we're done, but we're gonna listen to "Without Your Head." And if you do happen to miss anything, I don't know how you how you why you would, but if you do happen to miss anything, for whatever reason, maybe you're locked up in prison or you're a fucking insane asylum listening to the show, uh, you can check out the archives on the podcast on withoutyourhead.com. And uh, subscribe in iTunes and Google Play. And also follow us over on the Twitter machines. On uh, the twitter.com. All right. Well, I'm um, I'm a little bit under the weather. Had a couple guests here. Uh, my brother's down with, with, the, with the lack of energy. Got a bunch of interviews coming up for you fine folks. So we're probably going to uh, wrap this up. But uh, I, I appreciate everyone who listens without your head. Um, I love doing the show. So, uh, keep on keeping on. And if you have any topics or questions or news items, send it over to me without your head at gmail.com or post it in the group. Um, you know, if you got a new trailer or whatever it is, something you would like to hear what Troy and I think about it, let us know, uh, coming up and, um, we're going to start doing some guest hosts and how that's going to work is I would like to keep the interviews, uh, just me and Troy. Uh, but we'll have some guest hosts every once in a while for the post show. And so, uh, if you're a listener of the show or a former guest, uh, and you're interested in that, uh, let me know. And so, we're going to bring back the 666 list, the, the list of the beasts. And how that works is myself, Troy, and whoever happens to be uh, the guest host that week. Well, each uh, we'll have a topic of some sort. Maybe the, the top, uh, the top horror movies that take place in March. That will probably not be a topic, by the way. But let's just say that's a topic. Each of us comes to the show with our own top six, and bam, 666, we have the list of the beast. It's a lot, it's a fun uh, deal, and that will be coming up in the show. Uh, Mr. Robbie Scar is a very controversial uh, listener here to uh, Without Your Head over the years. We'll be doing that. I know uh, some people, they'll be like, oh my God, what the hell? I want to see that guy. But uh, you know what? That's what makes Without Your Head fun. There's a lot, there's an eclectic group of people, they don't all see it eye to eye. So, uh, Robbie scar is going to come on the show and, uh, we're going to figure out what six, 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 we're going to do with Robbie scar, but it could be a good time. Could be a good time. Uh, some former guests are also, uh, lined up, but I won't give any way until we've got them uh, booked here on the show, but it, it, it'll it be good stuff. Uh, I don't have um, a lot of news here. I, I, you know what I'm going to say this This show's a little over now. I finished Bates motel. It took me a long time to watch. Cause I really shot the sh- sh- thought the show was was, was shit uh, I'm a huge Norman Bates fan I'm a huge fan of, of uh, psycho I grew up watching it uh, the first thing I bought when I went to Universal Studios like I have to get a free psycho shirt Bates motel shirt uh, the sequels well like I like psycho too it's a huge drop off of the original psycho. Uh, but I still enjoy the movie Even some of the other sequels Whatever. So when I heard the Bates Mattel uh, Part of me didn't want to watch it Because I love the show so much Part of me wanted to watch it because I love the movie so much So You know it's weird You love the movie so it's like do I want to watch this Or do I not want to watch it Because if it sucks I'm going to get mad uh, But part of me wants to watch it Because uh, you know it's a prequel so I did I stayed away from it for years until I until I was dying. I was in the hospital. And when you're when you're dying in the hospital, there's not a lot to do. So I'm at laptops, I was watching I watch a lot of movies. I watched uh, the whole season I watched seasons of TV shows. And so I was like, what the hell am I gonna watch? I guess I'm gonna watch this Bates Motel. So start watching it. I do think the kid who plays Norman's good. And I think the the mom is good. Norman and Norma Bates. The rest of the show I could do without. Terrible. You've got pointless characters. You've got just idiotic storylines about bad cops and like uh, international, uh, you know, white slavery, sex slaves. A whole lot about pot farms and, and like, in like a, a drug, dr- drug wars. Couldn't give a shit about any of that. None of it's good. Not one single storyline outside of the, of, uh, the Bates is good. You've got a brother, which fucking sucks. He's like this model. He's little doe-eyed model looking at, Ooh, look at me. I'm so sexy. Fuck that guy, he should not be on the show. It makes no sense that Norman Bates has a brother in the first place. It should be an only child. Hated that character. The sheriff, he's with his he's like this, you know, middle-aged man with his guy liner, guy liner on, hated all that stuff. So they got all these like, you know, tweens and middle-aged and people are, I guess, trying to be sexy, which I don't need that on Bates Matilda. I don't want it on Bates Motel. So you get all the, the very soap opera-y show. Pretty, it's very shit. There would be glimmers of stuff I liked here and there. So I'd be wading through like you know a ninety minute, an hour show, and maybe there'd be ten minutes of it. Like, Neil, why did you watch? Why didn't you turn off? Because I was dying in the hospital. What the hell else I'm going to do? I'm going to die at least. I need to watch something. And even then, I quit watching like a season three. I was like, this just sucks. I heard people kept telling me, "Well, watch it. We'll keep watching. It. After season two, it gets good." Like, my God, I got to watch all this stuff before the show's ever good. So I kept watching it. I don't know when it's supposed to get good. Someone filled me in. When did the show get good? I did not see it. So we so season three, I think I finished. It, and I was just like, this never got good at the end of season two. And it certainly didn't get good in season three. So I'm going to go and watch something else. I might not have much time left in this world. And I'm not going to go out while I'm watching fucking Bates Motel. And his doe-eyed brother who's a pot seller, but he's got a heart of gold and loves the uh, the dying girl. Fuck this guy! My God! So, I quit. I was like, ah, oh, it sucks. You know, a year or two goes by, and I'm like, alright, well, I see ads for the final season. Holy shit! The mom actually dies. Now we're gonna see fucking Psycho! This is what I wanted to see in the show. I was like, well, I can't just watch the last season. I gotta start catching up. So, I guess I'll go back and start watching season four. Still the same bullshit. Then they, you know, add new characters, more more drug wars guys. Uh, they got Opie from uh, from Sons of Anarchy, He's a great actor, but he's playing this. I don't know what the hell he is. He's some fucking uh, bootlegger out in the wilderness. He's like this. the terrible character terrible show you get glimpses of of cool of cool stuff like hey yeah okay there's like sexual tension between mom and mom and the son people hey jack why would you you want to watch it's fucking Bates motel it's about norman Bates. that's what the show's supposed to be it's not supposed to be beverly hills 90210 no it's it's Bates motel so it's all this bullshit, with a little bit of stuff here and there, it's pretty good. Uh, they get to some some alright stuff. You you know the so uh, spoiler alert he kills his mom. Bob's dead. finally fucking killed the mom. All right, so then I'm like, well, final season wasn't up on uh, Netflix yet. Uh, I don't care that enough to go buy it, and I'm not an advocator of uh, downloading. So I was like. Hey, I wanted to see the final season. Comes up and watch it. It'll be about dead mom. This this should be good. So it pops up on my Netflix a couple weeks ago. Finally, now I'm gonna see the end. I watched all this bullshit. I'm gonna I'm gonna at least see a good last season. No, no, I I did. There's again some glimmers. They try to recreate the original Psycho, uh, with the character. You know, she steals money from her from uh, from work and she drives across country. She. They make some baloney about this boyfriend who's married, and Norman's, you know, knows the 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 wife, and blah 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 blah. Uh, he does dig up the mom, and that that's cool, and, and all. But you mostly it's just bullshit. They hint at some good stuff, like apparently he's going to the bars and having sex with dudes, you know, as his mom. That's what I want to see. I want to see weird shit from from Norman Bates. I don't want to see pot. I don't want to see uh, the doe-eyed brother—I don't even want to see a brother. I don't want to see the the girl who's dying who gets some you know miracle. Uh, the, she gets a miracle surgery to save her life. Whoop-de-do. That's all fine and dandy if I, if 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 you're watching some other show. I don't want to see it on Bates Motel. So you got to wade through all this bullshit. Blah 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 blah. And then every once in a while something interesting pops up. Then you get the 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 dirty cop who's. Breaks out of prison and he's making his trek back to Norman, all this bullshit. So, all right. So they're recreating Psycho. All right. I can get into this. Uh, I don't believe even Steven says like any of his good lines from Psycho. It doesn't say, you know, we all go a little mad sometimes. Nothing, nothing good. Uh, so, anyway, I do like the way Norman says, mother. Mother. That's good. He's a priest. He's good in the mom. So, so you see all this stuff. So we're building up to the shower scene, but of course they can't just do the shower scene. We gotta, we gotta do a gender swap. So he he stabs the boyfriend in the shower. Eh, whatever. That that's fine. Fine, and he goes and throws him in the in the lake, like the like the like the movie. So then you know all this bullshit leads up. He gets he, he's kind of a goof and gets himself arrested and. You know, even admits to the to his crimes to the. And all I'm watching this, I'm like, well, I'm right, gonna we'll watch this shit. But you know what, Norman is gonna be is gonna weasel his way out of this. Maybe he'll kill this woman cop. Maybe he'll just lie his way out of it. You know, th- using his mom. There's got to be something here to to appease uh, a Psycho fan. Because assume you're watching Bates Motel because you love the the masterpiece, the Psycho. And you want to see how Norman Bates becomes Norman Bates. So you're watching this and you think, well, you can't get out of this, but it was go- it's got to have some somehow or else what the hell cut? Co- what was the point of the show? So, so finally he's got the, uh, he's got the dinner with his mom. His mom's there and she's sewed up and dead. I'm like, all right, that's cool. His brother comes in, you know, doe-eyed, you know, bullshit brother and, He's like, oh, Norman, oh, you know, just sappy bullshit. And he ends up killing Norman. Spoiler. He kills Norman Bates. The show ends with the main character, the reason why the show exists, dies. He dies before he can even become like the real Norman Bates that the whole show is leading to. Be like if you watched uh, what's, a, what's the what's the super Superman TV show Small World and they and then the final episode they kill Superman be like but well he died you know Clark died before he went and became Superman what the fuck is this so the bo- the asshole boy the asshole brother uh you know who should be a nine zero two one zero he kills Norman and then you get this stupid scene of Norman, you know, uh, being reconnected with his mom and in, in the afterworld, I don't think they would go to heaven if there's such a place. It's their fucking murderers, psychopaths. Maybe, maybe since they are psychopaths, he looks God looks over him and says, "Hey, whatever, you, you know, you're forgiven. Come to heaven." But so they're in the afterlife and they're all happy, you know, and they're hugging each other. I'm like, well, this maybe it's a dream. No, it's fucking reality in the, within the show. Norman Bates is killed before he is even Norman Bates. So he cannot go on to do anything that's in the movie. And uh and then they show, you know, oh, the brother goes on with the with the ex-girlfriend of Norman, and now you know she had this miracle cure. She was dying throughout the whole show with some kind of disease and had uh, you know, an oxygen tank, but no, she's fine. And has they have kids and they're happy? Fucking bullshit! I didn't. The show isn't even about Norman Bates. It's about fucking Norman Bates's brother, his love affair with this dying girl. That's all well and good if you want to make a show about that. But why the hell is it on Bates Mattel? That's not what I want to see. I don't want to see a happy ending. I don't want to see some bullshit love affair. I don't want to see it his brother. I want to see the rise of Norman Bates. And what do I get? I get Norman Bates gets killed. What the hell? The show is completely pointless. Five years, sick whatever. I think five, 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 maybe six seasons of all this shit to build up to that shit. It was a shit build to a shit payoff. What a shit show. So that's my review of the Bates Motel. Don't watch it, even if you are dying in the hospital. There's lots of other things you can watch. There's lots. Of, take this from Neil from experience. There's lots of things you can watch right now, and you don't want if the uh, you know who knows when you're done in the hospital you might actually die. You yeah. don't want to like holy shit I'm di- I'm dead here, and the last thing I'm watching is this stupid bullshit about Norman Bates's make believe brother, who should be on Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero and his bullshit love affair. With the dying girl who gets a miracle cure. What the hell? What the hell has that got to do with Norman Bates? Nothing. Oh, my God. So you don't want to die watching that shit. So, you don't want to live watching that shit either. So, just stay away from that. That's all I'm saying. All right. I think that went well. So, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, and uh, all the stuff I said before. Follow us everywhere. Subscribe to us everywhere. Uh, subscribe to us on uh, on the YouTube. Uh, I'm trying to get to 2,000 um, subscribers. We're over 1,500, so please go and do that. And um, there's going to be a contest coming up, so subscribe to uh, YouTube and, and share it. And uh, we'll get more. We'll get more into that in uh, the coming weeks. But uh, I th- appreciate everyone who listens to the show. I really love doing the show, and I have a good time. So until next week, this is Nasty Neil. That was terrible, Troy. Music of the month, eight, And uh, it's just been a good time. So this was without your head.
1: You
4: make me feel like a girl. Afraid to lose me to better.